interested. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Yes! We're live, Thaddeus Russell. You're going no headphones. You're a radical. Well, you knew that. Dude, I'll take the headphones off with you. I don't give a fuck. Let's go. Bring it. It's on. Feel better. I feel liberated. <laughs> now, I'm, now with the real sound. Dude, you yeah. look slim and healthy. What have you been doing? Thank you. I just I got back in the gym and I'm doing boxing and kickboxing still. And uh, I don't you look know. active. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, I'm in Oregon a lot, so the meth is awesome up there. Oh, also. they so do have good speed. Great for weight control. I would think that Oregon would be more of like a calm down type of state as far as drugs. I was just there for 420. I know. Yeah. yeah, I emailed you. Yeah. I love it up there, man. I so love I. it. I would I would oh, live man. there. I, I fucking the winter's so goddamn depressing, but I would still do it. Yeah, the this winter has been just ridiculous. It's rained rain. for 9 months straight. There were like 500 inches in my county. Jesus. This, this winter, but uh, But you beautiful green. Oh god, it's so lush. When I just when you get out of the PDX airport, it just you smell pine trees. As yeah. soon as you walk out of the airport. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And after being in LA, which is just basically like this giant desiccated turd, I mean, it's like it's is so nice. Yeah, that would be like the best place to live. Like if you had a place there and a place here, you go back and forth. You deal with total that's, dry and that, total that's wet. That's what I'm doing. It would kind of balance itself. That's I what I'm think doing. you nailed it, Mr. Russell. Thank I think you. you've nailed it. I'm commuting every week and people say, Are you "Don't really? you get sick?" Yeah. Don't you get sick of this? I actually love it so far. So far, yeah. So my son here, my son is here. He goes to school here. In fact, he goes to school right near where we're sitting. And uh, so I have an apartment here and then a house in Salem, Oregon. And I love it. It's great. Oh, Going back and forth. Man. I'm not, I'm kind of like a shark. I can't, I need to keep moving. And uh, I don't like, I get, I feel claustrophobic and like the world is passing me by if I'm sitting in one place too long. Have so, you always been like that? I'm digging it. Yeah, always. I always need to be doing something and moving. I get, I am literally claustrophobic. Yeah? Yeah. And have you ever done an isolation tank? Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Can't when you, when you talk about that, I'm you like, freak out? that's my worst nightmare. Whoa. Like, and I'm also a little bit afraid of the dark. <laughs> I knew you were going to laugh at that. <laughs> you going to call me a girl again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with being a girl, by the way. Uh, How dare okay, you? Well, yeah, well, well, we'll get into that, Joe. <laughs> we'll get into that. No, uh, I mean, like, pitch black. That, that freaks me out. Really? When you can't see anything, I can't stand that. I don't mind a very dark room if you can, as long as I can see something. But if it's pitch black, I freak the fuck out. You know what freaks me out? Night so, vision goggles. Well, that's what I want, right? Then I'm cool. If I had no, those all the time. No, it just seems so weird. <laughs> you put them on, you feel like you're in a horror movie. Or you're in one of those scenes in one of those stupid Ghostbuster shows where they're down in the basement and they always have night vision on. Yeah. Have yeah. you tried them on? Yes. Oh. Yeah, I have some. Oh, you? of course yeah. you do. Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> for like nighttime boar hunting or whatever well, you, it is they, you do. That is one of the reasons why they use them. Yeah, but actually for then it's scopes. They have night vision right. scopes sure. where you see the infrared version of the pigs moving around. It's very weird to look through them. Yeah. But people often mistake other things for pigs like yeah. deer and no, dogs. I like that idea. I haven't tried them on, but I like that idea. But, you know, like so spelunking is definitely out for me, you know, claustrophobic and mm. afraid of the dark. What is Maybe spelunking again? Caving. Oh, being yeah. In caves. Like the idea of being like in a tight, one of those tight little caves you have to like squeeze your body through in the pitch dark and then, and then your headlamp goes out. I was just listening to That's a my podcast worst about this family that owns a uh, ranch in Texas and they had these small caves that these kids would explore in and then um, they allowed some cavers, some local you know, cave explorers to go and check it out and they crawl through this really small like three foot diameter hole, like literally crawled through yeah. it and found two football field size caves inside and then 
found out that there's m literally miles of mm -hmm. cave systems in there. Oh, yeah. No, it's incredible. I wish I weren't terrified of it because I love all that other stuff in the outdoors, you know, backpacking and camping and hiking. I do all that. I love it. But going underground is the worst thing. Do you right? only backpack and camp when it's a full moon? <laughs> uh no, I'm cool with the stars. That's good enough. Good yeah. enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Headlamps? Like I said, only pitch black when you can't right. see your hand in front of your right. face. That freaks me out. And I don't mm. understand why people, other people don't freak out about that. Like I'll wake up in a hotel room and I forgot to, there's, or there's no light at all on for whatever reason. Uh, I'll freak out because I don't know where I am. <laughs> See, look, look what I'm already admitting to millions of people. I just got here, man. It's I'm already okay, like, man. I'm already like a girl, and you're I can't... opening up. You're opening up. You keep saying girls if it's like a weak thing. It's, it's just very that, that scarred me the first time I was here. You called me a girl. It stuck with me. I'm sorry. No, it's cool. I don't even remember it's doing cool. it. No, you just said you sounded like a girl just then. Really? What did I say about? I can't you remember, remember what it was about. I can't remember something. Probably something really pretty, good. pretty girlish, pretty. So yeah. up yeah. in. Um, Portland, the Portland area. What are you doing up there? So You're teaching, right? My girlfriend, who I live with, is a vice president at Willamette University, and I teach part time just for the hell of it at Willamette. But mostly, I'm developing all these other things, uh, and I'm mostly just enjoying Oregon. So, because man, you can you can afford a hell of a house in Salem, Oregon, for what you were paying in L.A. Let me tell yeah. you. So we're just living a lot better. First time in my life I've been in a house that I enjoyed being in. And, oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah, and so it's great, and it's given me a base to do these projects, my new podcast and Renegade University and write my book. It's great. I have my own studio in the house, and I have my own oh, office beautiful. in the house. So it's like it's kind of the command center up there. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, so it's been, it's been pretty awesome lately. Um, I think it's fascinating how some places, like some cities, have like a mindset. There's like a feel hmm. that you get from the city, mm -hmm. and I like the feel that you get from Portland. Yeah, I mean it's like a it's a aware city, you know, and it's not a dumb city, did but you it's say, a small. Did you say aware? Aware? You mean like aware? Woke? They're woke. They're, I mean woke as fuck. Yeah, but it's like I a white. Say. It's like a white woke. White woke. Whatever well, white woke is. They're a little pretentious. I think somewhere along the line, Portland became like a place that pretentious people gravitated to because yeah. they wanted to identify like I'm white and I have dreadlocks here I am right you know what I mean like but that. they make really good food those, oh. those pretentious people their food carts and are coffee yeah 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 they make great food and those food trucks are out of this world totally totally yeah. Portland is a great city except have you noticed they hid all the black people there's four or five of them. I saw. You gotta, you've seen, yeah, I've only seen three they so track far. Them, yeah, like no, mountain lions. I keep waiting to like come across the cage where they keep them in the cor one corner of the city, because then it's amazing, especially in like the core of Portland, you know, yeah. the main part. All the I, you do not see any black people. You don't right. see Mexicans. You don't see Japanese people. You just it is just white people, dudes with beards. That's like a Pacific Northwest thing. selling I mean, coffee. You, you see more of it in. You definitely see more black people in, in Seattle. Seattle oh, yeah, is definitely. Yeah, yeah. Quite pretty diverse. Yeah, not fully, but a lot of Asian folks for sure. But uh, yeah, Port right, Portland. I mean, not Portland's even white not even Latinos and, and Asians. No, Mexican I'm like, how food. do you do that on the yeah. West Coast? Where do you put all those people if you're on the they West Coast? They just pass by. They just go. Let's, <laughs> let's keep going. Vancouver's <laughs> right up the street. Let's just yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you. You took a wrong turn. Keep going. Just keep walking. Let's just keep going. Go north. Yeah, it's like it's it's a small city. I mean, I don't think Portland right. has more than a million people, right? Does it? Nah, I think it's like. It's like half a million. Is it really? In the, I think something like that. Yeah, it's small. I no. It the lack of diversity actually is the only problem I have mm. with it, and it's a fairly big problem. But That's other, an issue. But otherwise, it's the best city in America. Really? I, I think. Really? It's my favorite city in America. Yeah, I should say. It's pretty goddamn good. Lawrence Krauss lives there. Oh yeah. So there you go. Yeah. 
there's two of us, two, yeah. cool, people, two, two cool people. Two cool people. Two cool smart people. I don't live in Portland, right? I live in Salem, which is an hour south. But yeah. we're still in Portland a lot, so it's kind of... Is that because of the university? Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it's yeah. way cheaper to live there. Is and it? it's also um, really beautifully centrally located. So we've got... We're an hour and 10 minutes from the coast, which is gorgeous. Have you been to the Oregon coast? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. And then we're an hour and a quarter from the Cascade Mountains on the other oh. side. And then all around Salem is the Willamette Valley, which is like Napa Valley and Sonoma County meet Vermont. It is so beautiful. Just wow. incredibly beautiful f farmland all around there. They make a lot of wine up there, too. Incredible wine. The Pinot Noir is the best in the world. Ooh. Yeah, but it's really pretty just driving through there. So, Ooh. man, it's... Yeah, I'm telling you. Ooh, we have sales also, person? Salem has Mexicans, so we do have a little diversity. Oh, of all really? The, all the farm workers, yeah. Oh, that there's makes a, there's sense. A big, there's a substantial population of uh, Latinos. In, you have legit Mexican in, food in, we got, in Salem? Uh, uh, it's not, Damn. Not, not like We're not working like on it. We're working on it. I mean, Salem has been like a dumpy town for a long, long time until just recently. Um, and now it's starting to pick up. we got some stuff going on. And... Even now, we've got a good MMA gym there and a boxing really? gym just just opened. Yeah. In Salem? Legitimate. Yeah, like Team, wow. team Quest people, former Team Quest people. Well, who's the trainers? Uh, Nick Gilardi, who's uh, okay. he, he actually came up with Chael and Randy Couture. He, uh -huh. was, he was trained as a wrestler by them when they were doing wrestling only when he was a kid. And then right. he became a champion wrestler, and then they went into fighting. And he was like, okay, I'll do that with you. And he's a major sort of Northwest MMA fighter. Now he's like coach of the year in the Northwest. Oh, great. He's my coach. We have a little, it's really good, MMA gym in uh, in Salem called Impact. That's awesome. Impact Jiu-Jitsu. So your knee is, we were talking about this before the podcast, your knee feels like it's, it's good enough. I'm, I really would love to start grappling. I never have. And I'm scared of it because of all the take, especially the takedowns mm -hmm. and, the, you know, and the, the leg locks and all that. Right. So I don't know. But I'm doing, it's, I'm still doing just stand-up boxing and, and, um, and Muay Thai kickboxing. Have you ever done any yoga? Yes. Yes, it's great for me. Uh, do I don't, you do I don't it know now? if it's going to help my knee. It will definitely help your knee. I guess so. I mean, stretching, it helps. Just strengthening. And strengthening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just holding static positions, like static yoga positions mm -hmm. for your back and for your knees and your feet. And totally. it just does. I'm a broken record with this shit, so I'll stop right no, here. No, I love it. Pe people listening love it. to this podcast yeah. like, Jesus, he's going to fucking talk about yoga again. I love it, yeah. So we don't we don't have to talk no, about no, that I, anymore. Yeah, I, that's I'm all about that. Why are you I'm, drinking Gatorade, man? Because I'm I'm a. a this oh, is not right. good for it's you. It's got sugar in this it. This is terrible for but, you. That you might as well be drinking. Because I get dry mouth around you. You scare oh, me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You scared of the dark. You scared of me. I'm scared of a lot of shit. <laughs> you're scary. Look at you, Mr. Muscles. Uh, <laughs> Listen, you're, now that you're all leaned out, you're scared of muscle people. Um, yeah, no, it's mm. um, so Salem's. It's it's interesting place. It's a it's a truly sort of like it's Trump country. You know, oh, it's like yeah. the heart of Trump country. It's like. It's it's dudes with beards who are not hipsters, you know, who drive pickup trucks right. for real and have a lot of guns and right. um, they don't give a fuck, basically. And it's sort of a it's not really a conservative, socially conservative place. It's more of a kind of a libertarian thing. It's mm -hmm. basically this is my land. Don't mess with me. So it very well, Trump much Trump was the libertarian option. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Most libertarians hated him. Some, well, they would be they better off, off with, you know, someone who's an actual libertarian, like you yeah. know, Ron Paul well, type character. He's the only reason libertarians were attracted to well, there's two reasons, but the main one was that they were attracted to him because during the campaign at least he was saying things that sounded like he was a non-interventionist in foreign right. policy, right? And right. that's why I was at least interested in him. I thought there was a possibility there. Right. Of course, he would like, you know, for 30 minutes, he would talk like Ron Paul about foreign policy. And then the last 
30 minutes of his speech, he would sound like an old Republican about how he wanted to bomb the shit out of people. So who knows? But now, of course, I think what's happened is that the generals have taken over. I think the yeah. establishment has just taken over. Well, it seems like there's there's no way one person can run every single facet of being the president. And especially not him. Yeah. I mean, and he's got a hundred <laughs> different businesses worldwide yeah. that are constantly ongoing Well, right he doesn't now. know anything about the world. Right. So, of course, he's going to rely on experts. And he also, we all knew this all along, he loves generals. He loves mm -hmm. you know, that thing. And I, I, it's pretty clear that Mattis came in there and just mm -hmm. took over his mind. And um, he said, okay, yeah, I guess yeah, I was right about all that shit. Let's go. Well, Let's he's essentially said, I'm going to get out of their way and let the military do their job. Right, exactly. And, like, I know guys that are, like, re-enlisting because they're pumped. They wow. think that the military, like Tim Kennedy, uh, UFC fighter. He re-enlisted? Re-enlisted because he believes that the UFC, or the UFC, he believes that the military now has the backing and the support from the president and that this is going to be great and they can do their job now. Does and Tim Kennedy want to... Uh, serve in combat? Does he really want? Yes. He, really, he, oh, wants yeah, he, wants to to he wants to go. He wants to go kill and possibly die. Oh yeah, 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 Just, yeah. He's doing that right now because he believes in he's the back cause. Over there. Does he believe 100%. in the cause? Yeah. Where? Which part? You yeah, I talked to him about it. ISIS. What does he want yes, to do? He wants to kill ISIS. He's about ISIS. Oh, dude, he gives <clears> his address out to ISIS. Puts yeah. his address on the internet and says, "Fuck wow. ISIS, come get me." I'd love to talk to Tim Kennedy. Yeah, it's <laughs> a long conversation, though. I bet you would want six hours. That's fine. You would want to take pee breaks and drink water nope. and this, <laughs> let's get into this from top to bottom. I would love to. Because you don't to. want the smoothed out CNN seven minute presentation mm -hmm. in between two talking heads on either mm -hmm. side. You don't want that. You want the long form. Right. Who is Tim Kennedy and why Why does Tim Kennedy feel this way? And that's what I'm doing. Experience. That's my podcast. Exactly. There Unregistered podcast. That's what we do. And it's it's kind of a... Yeah, that's precisely what we do. I'm, I'm interested in people's personal histories and how it's connected to their current ideas, right? The roots of their political ideas, where do they come from? So it requires people who are self-aware about themselves, and a lot, a lot of people aren't. But so far, my guests are people who really have a sense of the connections between what happened in their childhood and their early development and, and what they're thinking now. Mm. Uh, it's a really interesting thing if you can get people to do that, to connect those things, yeah. to weave them together. So if Tim, I mean, Tim Kennedy might know uh, where his ideas about serving in the military come from, other than, you know, my dad did it or, or whatever it was. But that's what I'm interested in doing. So and this form, like what you're doing here, the long form, I love it. It's so much better. I. I think this is why I've, you know, a lot of people who know me, I'd say most of the people who know me, know me from my podcast appearances here and elsewhere. I've been on a lot of podcasts. And I just, I, I'm just more comfortable with it. I just yeah. think it's the best way to go. I hate being on cable news where it's like, you know, two minutes or 30 seconds and get this complicated idea out right then. And that's it. And even radio, I've done a lot of radio, which just sucks. You know, yeah. it's the same thing, 20 seconds, sound bites. Um, even 20 minute interviews, I always find frustrating either as an interviewer or as a guest, even hour long interviews I and mean, even, I, oh, totally. I did a, an interview with Ron Miscavige, yeah, He's yeah. The, the father of David Miscavige, yeah. and we only did an hour and a half and I was like, man, oh, yeah. if we did like three or four hours, I'd probably get deeper and deeper into this yeah. dude and find out. What yeah, that's what that's what you do. I mean, you, yeah. so you go kind of you're always going in and out of people's personal histories and their psychology and then into their ideas and into big abstract stuff and then history and philosophy and science. Right. You're going in and always back and forth and in and out, connecting those things, weaving yeah. them together. That's I love that. I think it's the only way to go. You get the deepest understanding of people. And it's it sort of makes it impossible to do what most people do is, which is just put people in a little box and throw them away. Right. Right. Dismiss. Right. Them. You know, oh, he's a libertarian. Oh, he's a socialist. Oh, yeah. he's a whatever. Gone. Right. Um, 
So, you know, he's Joe Rogan. Oh, he's the UFC guy. Gone, right? right. I mean, that, I'm sure people do that to you all the time. Sure. Right? Or he's Joe Rogan, the masculine, macho dude. Not interested. Bye. Right. Right. Everyone's so complex. Um, most and, people are. And most people are not the same person who they were if you're pulling a quote from them from two years ago or five years ago or whatever. Oh, exactly. They're just not that person anymore. Yeah. Everybody evolves. Exactly. And you can box someone into some sort of a corner by like... Not not to defend them, but the grab them by the pussy speech from 2005. Great like, example. It's it, you're boxing a guy in a corner who's trying to make another guy laugh on a bus, right? And he's just being gross. Great example. And then you take that and go, "Is this the guy you want for president?" Right. Yeah, we could talk about that a yeah. lot. I mean, yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. I heard yeah. you talking about that the other day, but um, yeah, it's yeah, Trump. I have a lot to say about that, but um, it's um. So anyway, I think the podcasting thing—it's it, changing the game, and it's it's so great. Well, it gives people something to do while they're doing other stuff. Totally. The, the ma I think we're like ninety percent audio only downloads versus YouTube somewhere somewhere in round. So most people are either listening during their commute or while they're at the gym or a lot of people even at work they put on headphones while they're you know yeah. doing mindless bullshit. But I think what it does is it humanizes people. Yeah. Right. You get you get. Not the full humanity of a person, of course, but you get much more of who they are really and the complexities of them. And so people talk about how we are all being siloed now because of the internet, right? That we just go to the websites we do, that agree with us. And there's a lot of that for sure. Certainly, right? but I think there's. I actually think the overall effect is just the opposite. I actually think that we have much deeper understandings of people who are not like us because of things like this, right? I mean. <clears throat> because of the podcasts and because there's just much more exposure to people's ideas and personalities. And there's just more people talking in public, by the way. I mean, just imagine that, right? Like in the 1970s and 1980s, when you and I were growing up, there were three broadcast networks that all said the same thing on the news right. shows. There were three all said the same thing because the FCC wouldn't allow any competitors to come into the market. I mean, they just wouldn't allow it. And then Rupert Murdoch broke that open. Right. And then since then, it's just been flooded. So now we have how many channels, how many networks, how many and now podcasts. And so when I was coming up as an academic in the 90s, if you didn't if your book didn't get reviewed in The New York Times or if you were an author of any kind and your book didn't get reviewed in The New York Times, you were not going to make a living as a writer. That was it. You had to get reviewed in The New York Times and it had to be a positive review. That was the only gatekeeper to success as an author. Now, the New York Times is one of, you know, a hundred different places or a thousand different places that matter when you're writing books. My, my book, Renegade History of the United States, was ignored entirely by the New York Times, and I know why, but it didn't really matter. People why, why? Oh, because it says all the things you're not supposed to say if you're a good liberal, left liberal, bi-coastal elite person from a university. Like? Like, um, Martin Luther King was a conservative and hated black culture. You know, like, Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a very conservative person con culturally, and he was basically an opponent of black culture. He, he, didn't, he was opposed to rock and roll. He didn't, <gasps> he didn't even mention jazz until the 19, like late into his career, and only once. He thought black people should sing classical music, European classical music, or, or gospel. You know, very respectable, very Christian, very good citizen kind of stuff. And he hated the flamboyant black preachers who were whooping and ho hollering in, the, in their churches and speaking in black dialect. He wanted every, all black people to speak correct American English. Um, he was opposed to a lot of dancing that was going on. He, he just all the stuff that we love 
in black culture, hmm. Martin Luther King was opposed to it. It wasn't because he was just an uptight puritanical prick. It was because of his strategy and his objective, which was to seek full citizenship, right? Mm. And he understood, right? In a way, it wasn't in his fault entirely. You have to prove yourself always in this country, historically, that you are just like white people to get all the good stuff, to get the vote, to get equal protection under the law. So that's what his mission was, assimilation. Assimilation has always been the ticket to full citizenship. Man, it's just, it sucks that that's even a thought, that the only way to achieve, quote unquote, full citizenship is to ignore all the things that make black culture special, Uh like comedy, like Uh jazz, like rap, like just just slang, just all the cool shit that black people have figured out, like the things to say that oh, yeah. white people have ruined, like bro. Bro used to be like a cool thing oh, yeah. that black people say to each other, and now it's like an insult for a dummy, oh, yeah. like a frat dummy's a bro now. Well, just think about like, uh, just think about America now if black people had never been here. Ugh. What would it be like? Would you, I, I'm not sure I'd want to live here. We wouldn't even have blues. So, oh. like, what kind of music will we have? Blues is the roots of all pop music. But All bam, pop music bam. comes out of blues. Everything yeah. that's pop music that's not European classical music is comes from black people. I mean, sure. the original roots, basically. Even of course, whites European. were involved in it, you know, of course, all that music. But, but all that stuff, the roots of it are in the slaves. Well, even European rock, like Led Zeppelin. Sure. Well, they borrowed it. Right. They ask, stole ask a those guys. Load. Ask the yeah. Beatles. They talked about the Stones. Of course, the Stones. They were. Of they talked about it all the time. They were like, you know, we're yeah. not, we are not the Rolling Stones without Muddy Waters. Of course, Elvis. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Elvis I mean, said it too. Yeah. yeah, all of that sort of stemmed from black. It's fascinating so, when you really think about so that. So that's the whole history of... That's that's African-American history, actually, is uh, ordinary black people who aren't interested in being just like white people and doing their thing, you know, since slavery, um, just doing their thing and being called niggers by whites. And also, and this is what people don't know, civil rights leaders since slavery, like black political leaders who wanted citizenship, attacking them for their culture just as harshly as the Ku Klux Klan did. And I'm not exaggerating. If you look at what Frederick Douglass said about slave culture, if you look at what W.E.B. Du Bois sometimes said about slave culture and black culture, then Martin Luther King, A. Philip Randolph, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, all the way through, they are saying the harshest, nastiest things about black, working class, popular culture. You could imagine. But again, it was for this reason. They wanted to convince whites that we are just like them, so they'll let us in. They'll let us sit at the table of America. They'll give us the vote. We can then become president. And so, guess what happened? They finally, a guy came along who was black looking, but who, who lived in this perfect nuclear Christian family, wife, two kids, didn't drink, didn't do drugs. He smoked, but he stopped smoking pretty quickly, right? Very dignified, spoke perfect English, right? And guess what happened? He became our first black president. So Obama is absolutely the apotheosis, is a good academic word. He's the pinnacle. He's the, he's the full achievement of mm. that long attempt by civil rights leaders, black political leaders, to assimilate blacks. And they won in that way. They got a president, but what else did they win, right? And doing that, not much. I mean, race relations now, are they better now? Mm, not really. Do black people still 
say stuff in their hip-hop songs that is not respectable, even more than ever. <laughs> um, and white well, people I don't think are, black people are thinking when they're doing their hip-hop songs, they're not thinking that they're representing all black people. No. They're thinking they're representing their vision. Right. They're representing what they see on the street, what they see in their yeah, neighborhoods. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's always going to be the case, right? Yeah, the people. This is the thing, you know, I mean, <laughs> people who actually are from those neighborhoods, you know, where there really aren't any white people, you know, if they're from the projects or they're from, you know, these poor black neighborhoods that are famous, right? I mean, by and large, and we know this from what they say in their art, you know, don't give a shit about what white people think about them, right? They're not right. interested in citizenship. They're not interested in being good Americans. They're doing their thing, as you just said. I mean, they're interested in represent, seems to me, they're interested in representing their aspirations and they're interested in having a good time which sounds trivial to a lot of people, but it's actually revolutionary, right? If you just, if you're interested only in having a good time and pleasure and, and succeeding and achieving things for yourself, that's actually not American because you're not interested in America. You're interested, interested in yourself. So that's a person who's very unlikely to volunteer like Tim Kennedy to go serve in the military, right? Right. It's very unlikely that that person will become a cop. It's unlikely that that person will obey the laws, will obey the, the, the actual laws and then the cultural laws. They're not going to be good Americans. They're out for themselves. And I think that's actually always historically, for more than 200 years, provided this alternative for white people. We've always looked at that like with this sort of split lens. Like part of us says, God damn, look at those, look at those primitive black people. They do, they're doing the bad stuff. We, we're not like them. We're better than that. And always simultaneously, most or many white people have looked at it and said, hmm, that looks, that looks more fun than what we're doing. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that for a while. Well, certainly young white <laughs> suburban kids that grow up in these safe, sheltered environments yeah. always adopt that sort yeah. of uh, radical, badass, black rapper sort of listening That's... to their music, wearing their pants low, like sagging, doing all that stuff, co-opting various aspects of black culture that seem to be dangerous. You know who you, who you just described? Who? My son. Oh, no. <laughs> no, don't say, oh, no, it's good. Is he sagging? I'm saying I'm, I'm pro-wigga. <laughs> your son sags? Does he sag? No, it's, they don't sag anymore. This, the oh. new thing is these ripped jeans. That's the hip-hop style. Is, oh, they ripped the their ripped jeans. jeans. I'm yeah. so behind the times. They're kind of like fitted. They don't sag, but they're like just shredded, almost like an '80s look. And I oh, said, Jesus I said to my son, Christ. I said, I said, you know, <laughs> back in the '80s, like we laughed at those jeans, but for a totally different reason. And now that's the coolest thing that black people wear. <sighs> so he's Rip doing all jeans. that. He's he is fully immersed. He is he studies rap lyrics. He hmm. knows all that stuff. How old is he? he? He's making beats. He's 15. Yeah, so get him into martial arts quick. Kind of, what? See why? Does he train? I'm yeah, no, he refused. Really? I tried to get him in there a couple times. Good for discipline. He met Joe Schilling, and I, yeah? think, I think that scared him. Scared yeah. him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> scared Joe's, me when I met Joe. Scary dude. <laughs> That's <laughs> understandable. That was my first gym, and I walked in the first day, and I had never done anything like that. And I walk in, and there was Joe, and I was like, okay. If if people like that are going to be doing this, I'm not I'm not having any part of this because he was just terrifying. Yeah, but <laughs> when you get to know him, he's a teddy bear. He's awesome, big old sweetheart. Awesome, great coach, great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Joe. So I just think for a young boy, like it's a great way to sort your head out. I think life is so. I, if I didn't find martial arts when I was that age, I, who the fuck knows? What I would started when to me. I was. I was just thinking about this. I started when I was forty-one. Wow. Yeah, I took That's my amazing. first boxing lesson when I was forty-one. Wow. How's your double jab? Church Street. Really. Can you good. hook off the jab? Oh yeah. Really? Hell yeah. If, and you started at forty-one. Hell yeah. You got yeah. some speed to it. Yeah. Pop pop. Yeah, I got a good jab. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. Interesting. I'm told this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a tall guy. I got some holes in my what game. What do you think about Klitschko uh, Joshua this weekend? It's boring. a big fight. Boring. Those guys are boring. Joshua's got nice Joshua's power. Joshua's not boring. He's He's got great power. His technique's okay. He's not great. I think Klitschko's got a it's nice a gold jab. The, the Klitschko's Olympics. put people to sleep, Joe. You, this yeah. is why the heavyweight division, no one cares about it, right? Put people to sleep the other way by like being boring. Yeah, being boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you don't mean them by out. like knocking no. them silly. No. But Joshua puts people to sleep. Joshua the right knocks way. people out, which is fun to watch, and I'm into that, but it's not I like I just love technique. Like I'm a student of so it. So you're like a Lomachenko guy. So yeah. thank you for bringing Vasily him up. Lomachenko's thank you for bringing best. him up. We gotta talk about this. God. Forget my career, podcast, history, fuck all People that shit. People who don't know, please <laughs> go online you. right now and Google Vasily Lomachenko. He might be the best boxer that's ever lived. He might I'm be. So, I was worried about that we were going to fight about this, but I think we're on the same page here. So He's on such another level so with I, his footwork and movement. I, I just can't come up with a comparable... I mean, there's been some amazing boxers way back to Sugar Ray Robinson and mm -hmm. Willie Pep, and the, all those guys paved the way. Yeah. But I feel like everything evolves, right? Every combat sport, even art and music evolves to the current state it's at now, which you get the best of the best right now, and you go, wow, they've learned from Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard and Roy Jones and yep. Bernard Hopkins and Lomachenko is in my eyes is the best the yep. way he moves is insane yeah and he's super aggressive he's not like Floyd Mayweather who is arguably the best ever mm -hmm. you know multiple time mm -hmm. world champion in multiple divisions 49 and 0 only been like hit solid maybe seven eight times saw, his whole I saw career once when he got a little rocked by Shane, Shane Mosley yeah, yeah. once I mean, <laughs> and then uh, Maidana cracked him once, but it's, that's like over the course of this spectacular career. But much more defensive-oriented, brilliantly defensive, very economical with his approach, but brittle hands, hurts him, hurts his hand, breaks his hands yeah, a lot. Not a lot of power. Lomachenko is on you, like glue, stands right in front of you and you can't hit him. And he's going left and he's going right and he's in and he's out and you don't know where the fuck he is and he's lighting you up. So What is this? Here's why Vasily Lomachenko is now the number one pound-for-pound fighter in boxing. What's that in? Forbes? Yeah. Damn, Forbes. So technically he can't be because his record, he doesn't, he hasn't, really been tested he he's got eight fights no no no. i'm i'm with you completely i'm just saying technically yeah he doesn't have enough fights i don't give a fuck to be number one i, I know <laughs> he's the best so let me just say so here's my history with lomachenko so uh like i forget it was like four or five years ago i thought gary russell jr was the greatest thing since sliced bread and i still think he's, he's just phenomenal incredibly fast the fastest hand since roy jones easily and maybe even faster just and technically just perfect I thought he was unbeatable. I thought he was the next thing. And he's still a great, great, great fighter. I love him. He fought Lomachenko, and I was like, who's this Russian dude? I didn't even know he's Ukrainian. Never heard of him. And he tore, he took Russell apart. Yeah, here's a highlight reel. Look at him. He stands right in front of people, man. He just has such brilliant movement, man. Yeah. I mean, he's like the perfect example of, like, like new wave like this stage so that right there what do you yeah this side step so that, movement yeah he does this he does this it's a hop actually he hops inside and he'll throw a body shot off of it when he gets inside on you but he's basically standing at your side boom like right there he did yeah. it again well right? he's not like a brutal puncher he'll step and, in or hop in yeah. and you know the funny thing is, so i've been hopping around gyms lately boxing gyms look at that he's <laughs> did, he did it like three times yeah. in a row and here's Genius. how here's how i know Here's how I th here's, here's here's why I think that he is the next Ali, which is that just in the last year, every boxing gym I've gone to, people have taught 
Lomachenko's moves, mm. like as a standard part of classes. Interesting. Right? Meaning that he's changing the game. Right. It's kind of what you were saying. Well, you know, Mike Tyson did a lot of that too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but people can't but didn't do ever it to this punch level. as hard as Mike Tyson. Right. You can actually do some of this stuff. Of course, he's a phenomenal athlete, Lomachenko is, and pe not everyone can do this, but there are some things here that you can do that have never been done before. Yeah. Like in particular, that little hop step, it's actually, I had a coach call it the, I think it was called the Lomachenko jump or something, but you can do that you can walk, you can just step in like that really quickly but people for some reason just never did it well tyson did do it tyson learned it from customano customano was teaching this way back in the fucking 50s yeah but his his style was it's mike tyson's style was so much different cuz he was throwing howitzers at you it's a yeah. lomachenko is not knocking anybody out with one punch no, no. he's hitting you with multiple barrage of punches but the thing about they dropped him with a liver shot but the thing about like yeah. what lomachenko's doing with this steady barrage is very similar to what I've always said about jujitsu. Like, if you want to really learn jujitsu, learn jujitsu from a small man, because small men can't use strength and mm -hmm. weight and all the physical advantages. They have to use perfect technique. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you deal with guys like Eddie Bravo or Hoyler Gracie or uh, Barrett Yoshida, like the really little guys are the guys who have this stellar technique mm -hmm. because they don't have the physical strength. Mm -hmm. With Lomachenko, you see the same thing. He's mm -hmm. not a one-punch guy. Yeah. He doesn't have like some Tommy Hearns knockout nope. ability or Mike Tyson type power. Yeah. So he's forced to have this brilliant movement and yeah. footwork, and which the, is complete next level. The the footwork I think is the best of all time. And now he's you know literally embracing the whole idea of him being in the Matrix. He has Matrix shorts on now. See, I like the Matrix comparison. I think of him as the Nightcrawler. Like you know, he's just teleporting around you. He's just <laughs> a Nightcrawler from X Men. Yeah, X Men. He's just yeah. showing. He just like shows up suddenly right next yeah. to you. Right. Oh, it's genius. He disappears and shows up right next to you. In a I mean, just location. right there, that, that little movement and the anticipation of the counter and already being two, three <laughs> steps ahead of you. That last fight against Sosa, have you yeah. seen that? Yeah, I saw that. It's <laughs> that brilliant. was even better. Yeah. He, even, he improved. Like, he yeah. was even better. I was like, this is getting crazy. Like, yeah. he's so amazing. Everyone should watch him. Everyone. Yeah, he's, he's on another telling. level, man. Yeah, I love he's him. on a complete another level. So, yeah, footwork. Well, this is a guy like him in kickboxing. Who? Giorgio Petrosian. Uh, you ever seen Giorgio Petrosian Yeah, he's fight? the best, for sure. Yeah, yeah I love he's, Petrosian. He's some next-level shit, too. Definitely. Yeah, I but think he, so. But he did lose one fight by knockout a couple of years ago. But yeah, he, badly. Yeah, Andy he Rist got caught. Andy Risty. Yeah, by uh, Daniel Elunga? No, Andy Risty. Andy Risty, that's yeah. who it was, yeah. Well, Risty's a brutal knockout puncher. He knocked out uh, Van Rismullen, too. Yeah. The same year, I think. Well, it's one of those things where a guy like Andy Risty has so much power if he catches a human being on the chin. Yeah, not great. Fucked. Not perfect technique, but man. But nasty, nasty. Nasty yeah. power, yeah. I wanted to talk about Jermaine Durandamy. Oh, yeah. Talk about her, man. I mean, because uh, <laughs> it's funny that we're talking about fighting. I'm so happy. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I want to do. Well, this podcast really, you know, I don't know. It's not real format to it. No, I, yeah, we, we've all noticed, Joe. <laughs> Millions <laughs> of us have noticed. That's what is great about it. Uh, what was I going to say? No, I mean, I. Um, it's funny. I think the first time I was on here a couple of years ago, I said at the end that I wanted to be a surfer deep down, you know, like I love what I do and being a historian and all this stuff. But deep down, I wanted to be a surfer. Now, I don't want to be a surfer. I want to be a boxing coach. <laughs> really? Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Well, a lot of people that are intellectuals, a lot of people that live um, um, almost like a sedentary lifestyle because you're constantly in front mm -hmm. of books or computer screens, they long for this totally. sense of adventure. I want to be a backpacker. I want yeah. to go to Nepal. And yeah. most, mm -hmm. most academics, and maybe this is one of the reasons I had to leave that profession, or I'm trying to leave that profession, is that I've always been a physical person, too. I've right. always been, you know, just in touch with my body in various ways. I've always been into sports, playing them and 
doing stuff. I just, you know, and most academics, I'd say, or at least a lot of them, seem to be completely cut off from their bodies. They just don't care what's below the neck. Uh, they don't care what they wear. They don't care how they feel. They certainly don't care how they look, many of them. And they don't talk about the body. They don't talk about things like this mm. ever. And, in, well, they look down on it. Yeah, the, the, that's and, the problem is the looking down on it. I you, think that's very short Like this conversation right now we had about boxing, if you just took that clip, that last 10 minutes, and you put that in front of, and you sent that to every historian in the country, I mean, my reputation would be done. No. I mean, it's already pretty much done. Yeah, really? you, Are you serious? Why wouldn't they just you, think are you you're serious? a guy who appreciates boxing? I love talking to people who aren't from that world when I tell them about these things and they're like, oh, of course that couldn't be. It's No, it's that bad. Well, what a silly world that is then. It's That's that, it's silly. It's that bad. They would think less of me. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, I want to be a boxing coach. I'm not, really? I definitely, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I can really make it happen professionally, but, you know, at least on the side, you know. Well, you'd have to have a couple fights, don't you think? That's what I'm wondering. I don't know. I mean, I certainly can't coach pros. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm talking about people sort of like at my Classes. level. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, people who spar, maybe maybe some amateur fighters. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm working like a little bit with a guy in my gym who's trying to be an amateur boxer now. But I'm not his coach. I'm just saying I'm sort of like trying to coach because he's brand new to the sport. Right. Um, and I just love it. I love it. I love teaching. I love teaching. And that's the thing about academia that I've always just loved. And that's why mm -hmm. I entered it. Because I just felt like I was, it was just natural for me teaching people things. Teaching and is fun, man. If you're good at it, but most people are not. Yeah. Right. So when you teach jujitsu, right? I mean, what you're doing is, and this is, goes for anything. If you're teaching how to fix a bike, right? You take, you're taking all these complex ideas, and this is what you're a master at. Uh, you take all these really complex ideas and you package them. You you break them down into little bite-sized components and then hand them over to the person, right? You give mm -hmm. them so that they can consume it and understand it instead of just saying, you know, oh, that's a Japanese necktie. Go ahead, do it, right? Which is what you'll see a lot of teachers do. Here's how, I, how, here's how you do a Japanese necktie. Now go ahead, do it, right? right but you, right. you're like, okay, no, the, the elbow goes here. I mean, a lot of jujitsu instructors do this too, of course, but like, you know, the elbow goes right here, an inch down there, and then the knees here, and then the mm -hmm. right. And so it's but it's just like what I do. I mean, you take these really complex, abstract concepts, you know, that, and you give them back to, to people who are completely new to them. Right. You have to, you have to package it, not, not dumb it down, but distill it, right? You have to, like, bring the, the essential components down and get rid of all the extraneous stuff and then just hand it over to them in this very clear, simple way. And then you can give them, give them the next part, and then you connect that, and then you connect that, and next thing you know they have this new radical concept of Martin Luther King, or they can do a Japanese necktie. Right, that's, that's what separates someone who's a really good teacher versus someone who has maybe some real skill at something but isn't good at communicating mm -hmm. it. Like breaking it down into a system, like a step-by-step -step progression yeah. system. Yeah, yeah, my coach I was talking about in Salem, Nick Gilardi, I gotta give him a shout out, because he's awesome. He's powerful one of the best, what's that? I said powerful Nick. Yeah, he is, oh shout my God. Out. Yeah. He um, he's one of the best coaches I've ever seen because he he's really a coach's coach. Like he mm -hmm. really cares about coaching and teaching. He really cares about teaching, and that's what he does. Like he'll stop. He'll say. Well, he said he was a team quest guy. Yeah, he comes. Yeah. Up, yeah so comes Robert Follis, who's also an, an awesome coach, who's I don't now know. he's yeah. he started out with them, and now he's uh, he's an extreme couture now. Yeah, he's worked with a lot of like top level guys. But yeah, yeah. I mean that's when the sport was being invented, basically. Sure. Yeah. So he was at the beginning of that as a kid. Well, Dan Henderson, Matt Lindland, right. you know, right. Randy Couture. Yeah, and, was... but I think it's just that Nick, I don't think it's about his context. I think it's about who he is as a mm -hmm. person, just like me. It's like it's not. No one trained me to be a teacher. Right. Like when I was in when I was taking when I entered college, I had no idea I was going to be a teacher. But I remember sitting in these college classes that kind of weren't very good. And I remember th that I spent a lot of my time thinking about how I would teach this differently than this guy was teaching it. 
I, and then I realized, oh, wait, I just, I, I realized I'm actually studying the teaching more than the subject itself, how to communicate these ideas I was studying more than the subject itself. And then I just, it, it dawned on me finally, it's like, oh, well, that means you probably should be a teacher. Mm. And when I finally started doing it in graduate school at Columbia, I was teaching, you know, philosophy, actually. And yeah, I just, I've loved it. It was just my passion. Do you find that Still when is. you teach things that it helps you better understand them too, because you go over them from a real fundamental perspective? Precisely. And, yeah. Precisely. Right. So you don't, and that was the first thing I learned when I started teaching was that I thought I knew Plato really well, you know, until I started, to, until I knew that I had to teach him the next day. Then mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't quite actually get that connection there between those two ideas in his book, you know? Yeah, you have to, I tell my students this all the time. I said, you need to be as comfortable, so comfortable with this text that you can teach it to your roommate who's never read it before. Mm. That means, what that means is you have to think all the way through the ideas. You have to go all with your mind all the way through the ideas and then come back through them, right? It's just like, it's like martial arts or anything else. Like yeah. you, you have to actually do the Japanese necktie all the way through and come back all the way through it and then you can teach it. All the way through you my competitive it. Taekwondo career, I taught. I taught yeah. at Boston University, I taught my own school, I taught classes, like I taught the entire time. It's I what, the that. way I made a living. I didn't know that. And it helped me tremendously. It helped me understand it. And hmm. I didn't realize how much it helped me until I started doing jujitsu and I watched other people who started teaching jujitsu just jump ahead by leaps and bounds from where they were. A good example is my friend Brent. He was uh, like a purple belt, and he was always at like a certain level, kind of a static level, and then not static, but you know, improving, but nothing crazy. He was like everybody else, right? Jiu-jitsu is hard; it takes a long time to get better, yeah. and you're around other people that are also getting better, so it's hard to like really measure, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, but then he started teaching. And like teaching full time, yeah. and then all of a sudden I would roll with him, and I'd be in like great danger, mm -hmm. and I'd be like Jesus. And mm -hmm. I, I had a conversation with him once after uh, training with him, like, dude, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but your your game has jumped like four or five steps ahead. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm the same as I was six, seven months ago, and he was like years ahead. Right. And he said it was all just teaching. And and I remember now that that was the first time I really felt confident as an intellectual, you know, as a... When you were teaching the uh -huh. subjects? Yeah. It was at once I had taught them, it was like, oh, now I actually feel... I was always... I mean, everybody's racked with insecurity, mm. especially in graduate school, about these things. You know, everybody feels like an imposter. Right. Because we all... There's all... All of us have, you know, 500 books that everyone else has read that you should have read that we haven't read. Right. Um... <laughs> um and I came from this little dipshit college in, you know, Ohio, and I was like a C student in high school, so I had extra insecurity. But once I started teaching it and forcing myself to, as you said, like learn the thing all the way through it and master it, and then teaching it, that's when I felt, oh, yeah, I belong here. I get it. I really do have some solid understanding of Plato now, and I really, I really can do this thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you're saying that because that's a big issue with comedians, too. And, and hmm. like, as they're becoming successful, especially, they feel like frauds. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody I know says that. Even, I've said it. Everybody I know that's sort of, like, started to make yeah. it, like, as they're, like, starting to headline and go on the road places and huh. do television sets and things along those lines, you feel like a fraud. When you're successful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. feel like a fraud. You're like, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, because you'll look at yourself and then you'll look at, you know, uh, Dave Chappelle or someone else, mm -hmm. Chris Rock, and you're like, look, I'm a fucking fraud. I'm a fraud. I'm not that guy. I'm mm -hmm. a fraud. I'm not Richard Jenny. I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. 
And then I'm sure it takes a long time before you feel like comfortable enough to like say, I know, I know yeah. what I'm doing. In academia, it's called the charlatan syndrome, mm. right? We all feel like we're charlatans. But I think it exists in everything, I in probably, everything difficult. I'm not surprised. And I'm, I think yeah. it's also probably a hallmark of someone who cares. You know? Absolutely. That's what makes you better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't think every academic has that, but I think those who do are the ones who are interesting and get better. Right? Well, I think the worst would be the opposite. Someone is like super confident way before their time. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that, yeah. right. They're going to suck. There's a lot yeah. of that too, though, right? Yeah. Uh, There's oh, yeah. a lot of weirdness in academia, man. I <laughs> no mean, kidding. I can't imagine <laughs> the stuff that you guys go through politically. Oh, my God. Because just you saying that you couldn't talk about boxing because mm. you would be thought of as a, a fool. So that's the thing. <clears throat> um, I know you're really interested in this, and I am too. And, um, the there are some misconceptions and that well i shouldn't say they're misconceptions i would say that there's a distortion of what's going on and this is not to say it's it's actually to say that it's worse than you think it is whoa so what most people who are outside of academia think is going on is not quite what's going on what it's do you think we think it's is? something worse well i know because i've hear, heard okay. you and lots and lots of other right. people talk about it and it's not your fault at all because you're not there and all you do is get the media reports about it so I think what most people... Well, I get it from Gad Sad and Jordan Peterson, too, yeah. who are professors. They, and they, if you listen to them, actually, they will, they themselves will talk about it a little differently, but people still consume it differently because the news, right, is all about the crazy thing that the 18-year-old said right. at Wesleyan or whatever. Or but it's the, not the 18-year-old, it's the 45-year-old that's And then sometimes them. the 45-year-old, yeah. Okay, but here's the... So that stuff, that really sort of loony stuff, you know, that you hear coming out or... Um, protest, you know, people saying that they are um, going to die because you said a word. Um, that happens. It does. That's all true. It's all there. I've seen it. But I've seen it maybe at most one time a year mm. in the colleges where I've been. Maybe. Not even. Less than that. Okay. What is, and if it were just that, that's not actually a big deal. It's much worse than that. What's What's worse is that if that there is a self-censorship going on that's universal and profound, constant, omnipresent. Like, for instance, you know, I never talk about my love for boxing around academics, or I'm very careful if I do, but it's not even that. It's that we know that there are certain things that can't be said on a college campus, and so we just don't say them. Therefore, there's no need to police us there's no need to yell at us and scream at us and protest. And what's the motivation? For the for which? For the people that are holding back on thoughts that maybe they would normally express, okay. but they don't. Well, here's what I think it is. For the senior faculty who have tenure, meaning lifetime appointments, cowardice. That's all it is. Really? I think they're cowards. Yeah. If you are an adjunct like me with no job security, or if you're an assistant professor up for tenure, and if you don't get tenure, you have no career, I don't blame them. I get it. That's what I've done, too. I've policed myself because you have to to stay in the game. If you have tenure, lifetime appointment, you're a senior professor, you make the decisions there on curriculum, hiring, and firing, and tenure. The faculty make those decisions, and you don't challenge these crazy ideas in any way. Or if you police yourself, you stop yourself from saying things that you, you think are right, that you believe in. You're a coward. I'm sorry. Those people are cowards. I've seen it. It's just overrun by cowards? Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, yeah. No, I mean this. They are very... The, uh, so here's the thing. I can't prove this. This is just... I'm just saying this is, this is my belief, but I think it's pretty well informed because I've been around these people a long time, and in part, I share this. The, I think the worst fear of all those people 
is being called a racist or a sexist publicly. Mm. I think that is their version of being in a cave crawling on their bellies in the pitch black. I think that's their worst fear. It and for not it's not entirely irrational, right? You can you know, you will be publicly shamed. You will the whole campus will think you're a racist even if you're not. Um, it might even make the media and then pub and then the whole world thinks you're a racist for a minute. But you're not going to lose your job if you have tenure, you know, you're, unless you actually did say it, did say something that's truly racist. Um, it's just cowardice. I think that's what we need. We need those professors, the ones with the power. And I'm talking about they have absolute power on these campuses, right? These aren't even like politicians who have to go up for a vote. They, they're there forever, unless they basically kill somebody, you know. Mm. They need to stand up now. People like Jordan Peterson and I have major differences with him on sort of the content of his ideas, uh, not about academia, but on academia, he's right completely, and I'm totally in solidarity with him, what they did to him and what they're doing to him. Uh, we need more people like him standing up and saying, no, I'm gonna say what I want in my classrooms and on Twitter, and in, because that's people have been punished for that too. Well, they're trying to get him to stop doing his YouTube lectures. I know. Which is fascinating I know. because they're very measured. They're long form. He gets to expand on his thoughts as much as he likes. He's very, yeah. very informed. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I he's mean, a, I, I, again, I, I have major disagreements. What dis is the disagreement? Disagreements with him on gender and postmodernism. I think he's completely off, but you know. How so on gender? So, so he. And I know you agree with him on this, I think. Well, maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure. But, you know, it's this idea that there just are two genders. That's it. And they're, atta no, they're attached to biology. Good. Okay. No. He seems to think that. Um, so I think there's a spectrum of humans in every single aspect of yeah, being a person. I should say I heard your conversation with him. And I could see, and this was interesting to me, it was exciting, because I could actually see you moving in a direction that I found to be much more interesting than his, which is <laughs> closer to mine, which is, yeah, that it, this, it's well, fluid. there's feminine men, there's masculine women. Go there's, to Thailand. Uh, the, yeah, for Go sure. Go to Thailand. Right. In fact, speaking, here we go, merging all these topics together. One of the top Muay Thai fighters recently, I don't know if she's still fighting, is a lady boy. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Thailand, you know. Well, once she became, once she got the operation, her performance dropped off pretty radically. Yeah, sure, but that's yeah. just the lack of testosterone. And I know your thing about having... uh, Fallon Fox. Yes. And I, so I agree with you there. So here's yeah. the thing. Okay. It's a different story. This, I totally agree with you on that particular thing, right? Yeah. Whether she should have been allowed to fight. Well, it's not that she should have been allowed to fight. I think she should be allowed to fight. Women? As long as the women know that okay. she used to be a man. That's the fine problem too. was for the first two fights, she didn't disclose it right. because she said it was a medical procedure and she didn't have to give up the personal details of her medical procedure. I say that's bullshit. Right. I say, well, you're dealing with a chromosomal issue. You're, you're dealing with the fact that you have a different bone structure, yes. different mechanical advantages, right. and 30 years of testosterone in your body. Yes. It's just not the same. Exactly. But as long as someone knows, Look, I'm fine with Jermaine Duran to me. She knocked down a man. I don't know if you ever saw that I, fight. I did. She's, uh, Do you think she's juiced? She's not juiced. No. She? Oh, she's yeah, just right. fucking badass. Awesome. Yeah, she's just she's awesome. She's just fucking badass. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what if she's taken anything in her entire career. It would just be pure speculation. Yeah. She doesn't look like she has, no. but that doesn't mean anything either. Right, right. But 
she's so fucking badass and so technical and so tough that she's fought men but she knew they were a man going in she made a decision just like i think you should be allowed to skydive Mm -hmm. just like i think you should be allowed to ride bulls i don't think it's smart right but you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want to do i'm all for freedom of expression of participation in any sort of dangerous activity my issue 100 percent, was that people are trying to pretend that there's no advantage whatsoever and that's crazy that's silly so the thing is what they're so within that framework within the rules we are operating in right whether it's in fighting or whether it's in you know this particular society or the wrestling girl in texas yeah i read all about that too right exactly so those are that's a particular rule you're you are agreeing to play a particular game right right and you're just breaking the rules that's all i mean you have you have sort of body well they're letting them break the rules The rules are not, and I think a lot of it is people worried about being called transphobic or homophobic or in any way prejudiced, where they're allowing certain people to compete in these, like this woman in Australia, the trans woman in Australia that just broke all these world records in weightlifting because she was a fucking man her whole life. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden became a woman is just killing everybody and in then weightlifting. And the, there's the, uh, the runners in, I think they're from Kenya yeah. or, or South Africa. No, the one from South Africa right. in particular. I forget her name. But What do you mean the one that's like a hermaphrodite? Who? Well, I don't know what she is, but she's broken every record by like, you know, huge, right. insane amounts. So and, I think she's just a woman with an abnormally large amount of testosterone. I think they've actually yeah. done chromosomal tests on her. I don't her. know. When I saw her in the Olympics, I just... Yeah, but that's just, the thing. It just jumped out at me. Pull, just... pull that up because I'm pretty sure that that woman actually has been tested and then there was a real issue behind it and she felt terrible about it because it was just the way she was born. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, the spectrum. Yeah, I could. Look, there's men what a, that sure. have tremendous amounts of testosterone and there's men that have like almost none. That's actually the major point we need to talk about. You're totally on the right track there. I totally agree with that. That's the most important thing, which is that there's a spectrum, right? Yes. And so to say that there are, that 50% of the world is male and 50% is female nonsense or man and man or what right thank that you black I say to, I say to my students I say okay there's 7 billion people in the world okay imagine in your mind lining all of them up you know naked in front of you how many sexes do you see right this is what I want you to do right get a picture of Yoel Romero and put it next to a picture of Andy Dick <laughs> tell me they're the same thing <laughs> tell me this is even they're both men tell me it's even it's uh, nonsense <laughs> I mean, right. It's chaos. Yeah, I've, you know, it's like, have you ever heard a guy on the street say, man, that's a lot of women? Yes. Well, that suggests there are women who are less women to them. You know, sort exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. There's a spectrum. And yeah. there's also a spectrum in sizes. I mean, that's why so there's weight classes. So let me ask classes. you this. Okay, so let's push it a little further. Okay. Then. So, so far, you're doing very well. Oh, in your eyes. <laughs> Some people are screaming at their fucking oh, computer believe right me, now. I know. Fucking commies. Believe me, I know. Um, Roman's uh, going homo. So that's... Well, no, I think you already are. I think you already went all the way, actually. I mean, so what? There's two things. There, there's, there's the Jordan Peterson view. I don't think he very, has that view. Hang on, let me let me put it out there. Let me. Okay. What I think is he's saying, which is that gender is fixed and biologically determined. I'm pretty sure he does believe that. Hmm. Okay, that's what I would call sort of the traditional conservative conventional Look at that. view. Those are both men. Yeah, exactly. Jesus or Christ. Or not. Or you know what? Or like there's more than two categories in the world, right? And so Andy Dick would be one and well, Yul Romero would be another. Sexually, and I, where would you put me there? I mean, I'm, I'm neither one of those guys. You're in the middle there. I'm neither one of them. You're, you, well, see, the, thing, the deal is both of them can procreate with women. 
Okay, so uh, technically yeah, but not, they're oh, both male. But, but, but a whole lot of tech, people who are called men cannot procreate with women. A whole lot. What do you mean? They mean trans women? No, no, no. Trans men? No, they can't. It doesn't work. Oh. So they don't develop sperm? Yeah. Or really? Some, yeah, of course. Is that really common? Yeah. I, weren't you tested when, when you were trying to get pregnant? No, I just knocked her up, dude. Come on. Well, Son, maybe I, I never maybe tested I wasn't my loads. Either, but anyway, it certainly was a just thing. Just shot him in there and watched the fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. See, you're more of a man. You've just proven yet again that you're There's more the of a woman. Man. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Well, when you yeah, that's not a great picture. It doesn't give you a sense of how it does. Though. Look at the thighs and the bulge. Yeah, but she. Look at the bulge. Well, three times as high as most women. Whoa. Okay, so reports leaked out that doesn't really mean anything i don't no. think she's ever really been tested i believe she has see if she's been tested what does the test say but it leaked she was subjected to sex verification test after she won the world championships in germany and what does it say yeah leak, okay so leaked so results were supposed to be confidential but reports leaked out that she had testosterone levels three times as high as most women other intimate details about her anatomy were also reported yeah samaya became targeted Semenya, Semenya. Yeah. That, how brutal! Your first name is Se the first part of your name is Semen. <laughs> Semenya uh, became targeted uh, with abuse on social media. Um, but what does it say? Is it, so is it saying that she's a hermaphrodite? Because it, they were talking about her. You know what this is? The clitoral size, it's maybe. The, it's the equivalent of of pretty much every article written about Trump by the New York Times. Why? You know, a a report a report was leaked by you know senior right. officials said. Where's the actual evidence? Of any of this stuff, I don't see it. Yeah, what is it? It doesn't say anything. Doesn't so matter. she passed the test. Doesn't matter. She must have passed the test. Doesn't matter. Here's the thing. Her I name think is Seaman. if That's I brutal. were if I were a woman athlete, right? Yeah. Um, I would want rules established. Um, it's like I would want rules established, defining the physical characteristics of any of my potential opponents. Mm. Right. So it could be. Whatever, bone density, muscle mass, you know, testosterone levels, you name it. You, you, you could probably speak to this better than I could, but I'm sure there's all sorts of ways you could actually define that pretty precisely. And you can test those things and you can say, okay, you get to be in this. It's like weight classes in, in fighting. It's no different really, right? I mean, you're not allowed to fight someone who's 30 pounds lighter than you are. And right. so you could do that in any sport. You could say... Right. If you're above a certain height or above a certain weight or have this much muscle or that much testosterone, you're not allowed in this category. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sexist about that. There's nothing anti-trans about that. It's just a different category. But that's all that matters. Right. That if that is the, the problem was that Fallon Fox had, as you said, more muscle, more testosterone, all these physical characteristics that were fundamentally different than all of the other women fighting in that category in that particular game. That's all you got to do. Well, the, the problem is that you can do damage to the person. I know. It's not as simple as like playing basketball it's against terrible. someone who had more testosterone. Yeah, it's terrible to do that. But there's also like, there's a, a type of thinking that's involved in discussing this where the, you, you have to follow a line of thinking. And if you don't follow a line of thinking, you're transphobic, you're a hateful person, mm -hmm. you're a bigot. Yeah. 
And that line of thinking is not science-based. It's just not. When you when you talk to board-certified endocrinologists where they talk about trans people, mm-hmm. one of the things that they talk about is the fact that when you take estrogen, it actually maintains bone density. It's the reason why they give estrogen to women who have osteoporosis. So this idea that your bone density decreases when you go from being a man to a woman, it's bullshit. You're taking testosterone, your bone density is going to stay the same or get thicker. But if you're taking estrogen, your bone density is also going to maintain. It's going to help you maintain. So when you remove the body's ability to produce testosterone on its own, there was a whole article in um, Bloody Elbow of mm-hmm. MMA by this uh, board-certified endocrinologist, Dr. Ramona Krutzik. And what she did different than everything else, all these other articles, is she's not a gender reassignment surgeon. Okay, All these other people that are commenting on this have a vested interest in it being completely neutral. Hmm. There's all these people that are trans people that are commenting on it, and they're doing it from a very biased perspective. Because we're not talking about mountain biking, which there was a, a woman who used to be a man who dominated mountain biking and it became a giant issue with people. Hmm. They first supported her and then she was winning by such enormous margins. They were like, well, what the fuck? Same right. as the woman in Australia that's yeah. the weightlifter. This is different. This is fighting. Yeah. And I think fighting uniquely... Fallon Fox almost killed that woman. She beat the f- shit out of a few girls. But then she lost to Ashley Evan Smith, who is a biological female. You know, so it's you can beat someone like that. But again, Ronda Rousey probably beat the fuck out of most 135 pound men in the world that she meets. Of course. You know, it's just so, a matter of skill level. It's no different than PED, like banning PEDs. We want to do that, don't right. we? Right. It's yes. the same thing. It's altering the body's chemistry, its abilities, right? And so you don't want to compete against someone who sure. has that difference unless you know. Right, as unless you were just you know. saying, and then right. you can, t- or unless you're allowed to do the same thing, then it's all fair. But but you couldn't. You would. Uh, the yeah. woman would have to take testosterone and balance it out, <clears throat> and then you'd have to find out how would you balance out 30 years of right. your body naturally producing testosterone, increasing your ligament strength, increasing right. your tendon strength. Yeah. You also have the, the mechanical advantages of male hips are very different when it comes to kicking, when it comes to certain types of movement. Women's hips go out, and then their legs kind of come in at an angle, and it's not. Not right. the best for kicking. It's not the best for a lot of different activities. Right. It's different. So I would just say that a trans woman um, is absolutely, in my view, a woman. Fine. You know, I don't. That's their identity, and I respect that. However, they want to identify, and because w- the category of woman, as you said, is so fluid. You know, let. I'm not going to say there's any absolute about that either. That it can change, and it's you know comes from her ideas. Right. But it's still, I respect that, and I'll call you a woman. I'll treat you like a woman. But that means we have to change the sports, right? And we have to have just different categories. Instead of yes. woman sports and man sports, we need to have, and woman and man categories in those sports, we need to have different categories that are about people's physical composition, what you're made up of, right? So just like weight classes and PEDs, there's no difference to me. Well, or right? there could be the argument that a person, a trans woman is a woman, but when you're talking about athletic competition, you're talking about a very biological thing. I'm saying if you and take the, you might have to say that someone has to be a biological female to compete against. But I'm saying females. if you take the gender out of the sport, right? If you take the if you stop calling okay. these gendered names, then it's then it's definitely not tra- a trans issue. Hmm. It's just about what your body's made up of. So, for instance, so instead of just weight classes, like Jermaine Duran to me is pro. I don't know. Well, Ronda Rousey more likely is probably made up just physically, uh, more like closer to a man. Closer to Yoel Romero than Andy Dick. How dare you? <clears throat> she's going to find this, and she's going to find you. 
Gosh, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> Someone likes to be hit. <laughs> it really choked out real fast. Um, yeah, so so that means I would just say, you know, there should be a, a category, you know, of in the sport, you know, for people who are made up of that composition. And that could be people the the society identifies as men and who are or who identify as women or whatever. Oh man, that's a that's a slippery slope. Why? There's a lot of work there. Yeah. Because like uh, what a I mean, how would you define it? What parameters would you use? Bone density? Well, you know, a, a lot of African American well, women have similar bone density to white males. So does that mean you should be able to fight black chicks? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It depends, right? So, well, no, actually, they kind of are doing it. So and the, Wolf this might thing fuck with, you up. This thing, oh, man. Don't, I'm not messing with Ann Wolf. Even though she's, like, what, 60 years old, she could still she's crush me. She's probably 50. She could crush me. Um, no, but, I mean, they are doing it. In fact, we just saw this with, what's her name? Uh, Castor Samania. But, oh, what are they doing with her? Well, this, it's the thing about testosterone levels. But what are they there's doing? Actually are they threshold. making her? No, there's, there, there's a number for testosterone that oh. you have to be below, right? To, to compete in that sport as a woman. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. Just add more categories, not just testosterone. You have to have, that's what this says. Okay, it says if right here. If your testosterone goes above a certain level, you're not allowed to compete as a woman. So I'm saying have that category and add more categories like that. And mm. don't call it woman and men, just say it's category X. You get to compete in this category if your testosterone, Androgen, yeah, but whatever, you see what they're saying though. Levels. But it's, it's so ridiculously loose. It's saying a female with hypoandrogenism who is recognized as a female in law shall be eligible to compete in women's competition in athletics, provided that she has androgen levels below the male range. Like all you have to do is just be like a couple notches below the male range, which is way above. But I'm saying that's oh, all wow. objectively determined. You can do that. They're, they're trying to get her to take suppression medication or... She that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. See what I'm, yeah, this is all proving my on, point. But... These are objectively determined. So we they're have, making her tone it down. We have numbers. Right. Hmm. We say if you hit this number for this category, you don't get to compete here. But this is so, so rare. I mean, she has a disease essentially where she produces too much testosterone. But it would apply to trans people is what I'm saying, mm. right? So if, if you... But would it? Because even so, you're, you're still dealing with the mechanical advantages of the male frame, the wider shoulders, especially when it comes to hitting. We could do that too. Yeah. We do it with weight. We do it with weight already. Why not? Uh, Height, sure. Boy, in fact, a lot of work In fact, there. I've thought about that, right? Have you? You, you, well, look, you, I'm sure you have too, like in weight classes, right? Like, I have a huge advantage. I always use it. I'm 6'1", 165, and I have really long arms. Mm -hmm. So, like, most of the time, people can't get inside my jab. Like, I just put it out there. They can, And it's just a thing. It's a, but it's a, and I often feel like this isn't really fair in a way. <laughs> you know, I don't have to be as good as they are. Mm -hmm. I can be looser. And it's true for a lot of fighters. But right? once they get inside on you, they have an advantage. Like, uh, Mike Tyson no. used that advantage of being 5'10 on a lot of I fighters. I think an advantage. I think he just was really good at overcoming it. Hmm. I think there's he, an he advantage had in infighting and having shorter arms and he did the being lower. He did the peekaboo. Past the jab, he maximized really, his really style. well. Really, he did that thing. Where, As did Rocky Marciano. And then he he had a really good way of getting in, of of, of slipping the jab and moving constantly until mm -hmm. he was inside on you, and then he would crush you with his huge left hook. But once he's there, he doesn't have an advantage on you. He's just there, and he's Mike Tyson. But you don't think it's harder <laughs> for a guy with long ass spider arms to punch a guy who is in tight on you with short arms and is throwing shots to the body like Tyson I don't would think do? So. I don't think so. 
don't think so. I think there's advantages as long as you're like physically competent. There's advantages in particular movements and positions to all sorts of different body styles. It's very true in jujitsu. Guys with long arms and long legs in mm -hmm. jujitsu have massive advantages sure. with chokes. You guys can get darces yeah. and guillotines right. and triangles easier, but you can also get armbar easier. There's mechanical advantages in armbarring you. There's mm -hmm. there's there's some weird advantages to being like a Husamar Paul Haras stocky short guy. Well, here's bas how about basketball? There you go. Oh, it's all right? advantages okay. being tall, right? And in fact, there are leagues, not actually there might be professional leagues which are, you know, 6 feet and under leagues. Really? Same th yeah. Many leagues. Oh, many. many people. This is very common because <laughs> most people are under six feet tall, right? So who could never play in the NBA, hmm. even though they're amazing basketball players, but they just don't have the arm length and they don't have the height and all that. That's so, interesting. So we just need, need more divisions. The UFC should have like, you know, welterweight should be, there should be heights within it too. Isaiah height Thomas divisions. was only 5'9". No, this is a current Isaiah Thomas. He's a That's really a good player for the number one he's East fantastic. team in the East. He's, he's a great oh. a lot of guys that are under six he's foot a, though. He's a great, great player. Or around six foot. They get listed higher too. Yeah. Like they, they cheat. Say Interesting. Yeah, he's, two, so he's sort of the exception that proves the rule. He's five nine, but he's really he's well. You remember Muggsy successful. Bogues? Yeah, he's five Wasn't three. Wasn't he like five six or something five, like that? Three. Yeah. Five three. Muggsy yeah. was five three and dunked. Did he? No, he didn't dunk. Spud yes, Webb. he did. Five seven. Spud Webb. No, I'm pretty sure. Muggsy never. Pull it up, Jamie. Uh, <laughs> Jamie's gonna <laughs> jack you in this. Yeah, this, is my, this is my wheelhouse. Three of basketball years, you're in Jamie's wheelhouse in a big way right now. I'm pretty sure Muggsy. I'm pretty sure he dunked. Okay, Muggsy Bogues. It may not have been a super clean dunk, but it was a dunk. Let's see. On a ten foot hoop. Let's see if he dunked. We'll go with a video. That's my life goal was to say, pull That's it up, Jamie. Okay, this is Spot Webb. Here's Muggsy. Does it have a video of him dunking? I don't think so. Well, I've never seen it in my you're gonna, life. You're going to want to Google Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, I would have seen it in my life. Google Muggsy Bogues dunk. <laughs> I, he I did, did Google that. Boom, right there. Crazy Muggsy Bogues dunk, Jamie. Number two on Google. I'm Let's looking. see. i got to watch this. <laughs> I've never, ever seen this in my entire life. Dude, he just that's flew not through real. That's not that's Oh, not real. That's, that's in a video game. That's probably not real. Yeah. That's in a video game. No, but, uh, but he really did. I promise that's you. That's an NBA life. Is, my, my memory is that it wasn't a clean, super clean dunk, but he did get the ball above the rim with his hand on it. We're going to get to the bottom of this, ladies and gentlemen. Really, Jamie will get to the this bottom is, of this. This is happened. pretty essential. If we don't <laughs> solve this... This is um, a failure of a there's podcast. A, there's a big difference, I think, between team sports where, you know, you could have an advantage of having a, a Spud Webb or a Muggsy Bogues, a very mobile, agile kind of guy mm -hmm. who can set plays up versus a guy like Shaq, big giant guy who can, you know, get mm -hmm. in the way of things. And mm -hmm. I think there's all sorts of advantages and disadvantages of size. When you're talking about individuals against individuals, that's where things get weird. And then when you're talking about combat sports, that's where like people have just tr there's some people that just have these tremendous advantages like you know what Paul Daly is mm -hmm. ridiculous power mm -hmm. like almost unfair mm. like he he hits guys and just obliterates yeah them. but you know that's not just strength it's technique power. yeah yes yeah mm -hmm. and it's sure. also it's also geometry body geometry yes right yes a lot of skinny dudes like me have power some yeah a lot yeah a lot yeah. Right, and a lot of big. Tommy Hearns was the best yeah. example, well, right? A bunch of them, but it? he's also like this wide, and then his waist is like this, and this angle just. I've thought it's torque. I've actually, I've actually thought it's shoulder width. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you get that this torque. This wide, yeah. and then oh, yeah, the waist yeah, yeah. like this. Mm -hmm. So the, sh the shoulder is like that yeah. the torque. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's just crazy. You have more to swing yeah. that way. Yeah. Oh, right. for sure. To, wide shoulders. To rotate around the spine. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oftentimes equate, especially when they learn striking sports at an early age, yep. they learn how to develop that snap and fluidity to and their a, strikes. And a lot of muscle-bound guys don't. Don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 
I, or if they do, they have it for like I think you 30 need, I want you to go talk to Dana and get this get this going. We need we need uh, height uh, divisions. We need um, we need testosterone, you know, divisions. It's too complicated. Testosterone level divisions. We're not have estrogen that. level divisions. I think we're we are literally one generation away from being able to use CRISPR and all these new genetic engineering tools to make people whatever style of person you want. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to be able to develop six foot four super athletes that look like Anthony Joshua or, or Vitaly Klitschko or Vladimir Klitschko. You're going to be able to make those now. What I would give for bionic knees, right? Your like knees that, are fucked up, that right? Never, well, they're not, they're okay. They're, they're problematic, but I can, I can function fine, but they could go out at any time. Yeah. But you know what I mean? If you never right. had to worry about that, mm -hmm. you never had to worry. Right. Like, can you imagine? Well, if you could just redo it. But I'm telling you what they what we were talking about before the podcast, what they're doing now with stem cells, with soft tissue injuries, it's tremendous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really amazing. It's never happened before. What they're able to do to people that have meniscus injuries is literally shoot stem cells in there and you regenerate meniscus tissue. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just never happened mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is baby steps. I think what we're at right now is really, really young. And oh, I yeah. think 20, 30 years from now, because 20 years ago, they, they didn't really use it at all. 20 years from now, I think it's going to be insane. They're going to be able to, I mean, they regenerated a woman's bladder using her skin tissue. They, they built her a bladder. She had bladder cancer. Hmm. They built her a bladder mm -hmm. and then reinstalled it in her body. Now she has a functional bladder that came out of her own body that they regenerated. Yeah. I think they're going to be able to do that with tendons and ligaments oh, and yeah. all sorts of tissue. I believe it. And hopefully, this is really promising, they're going to be able to do that with brain tissue. So people that have had brain injuries, people that have had CTE, they're hopefully going to be able to use some of these therapies to regenerate brain tissue. Wow. Yes, hmm. that's huge. Neuroregenesis is yeah. like that's that's the promise land. God bless him. You know, I don't mm. know anything about science. I'm just a complete idiot when it comes to math and science. But man, just go for it. And by the way, as far as universities, you know, I'm I am the harshest critics of universities generally. But well, mostly, what I'm talking about is actually the humanities and social sciences. When I do that, what goes on in the biology building, the chemistry building, the physics building, I don't know. But I know that what comes out of them is a better life for me. <laughs> Mm. Right. And all of us. Right. They're making the stuff that oh, you're yeah. talking about. And mm -hmm. so go for it. And so, you know, renegade universities, not we're not going to do no science. We're going to let we're going to let Harvard and MIT keep going. Have at it, guys, you know, because you're doing great stuff. I have no critique of that. As far as I know, there's nothing going on there that's wrong. But it's just the humanities and social sciences that are utterly corrupt. Well, we got way off the track here. We, what we were talking about initially was Jordan Peterson, what oh, you yeah. disagree with him when it there comes to gender, and what you agree with him when it comes to the suppression mm -hmm. of expression of professors and all the people worried about being called racist and sexist right. and anything else stifling free speech. So what he's facing is even worse than what goes on in the United States, in a sense, in that it's, it's now legal persecution. He is actually, you know, it's, it's against the law to not use these gender pronouns in your class, um, which is that's suppression of speech. That's suppression of academic freedom. It's a complete violation of those things, in fact. And that's that's totalitarian. I mean, there's nothing no two ways around it. My uncle at Canada has these these laws. Yeah. Right. And they have a human rights commission, I think it's called or human something commission, yeah, human rights council council. And they do, it's like a, this body of people who sit there and decide who should have a website or not. And my uncle, this actually happened to him about 10 years ago. He was accused of being a Holocaust denier uh, because and I don't even know exactly what he was saying on there, but he's a Ukrainian. And I think he was sort of just defending 
these Ukrainians who were accused of being Nazis during the World War II. I don't know. doesn't matter. Even if he were a Holocaust denier, he should have his website, right? The Canadian, you go to that URL, it's shut down. And in fact, they put a banner now. It says this is now like controlled by the Canadian government or something. Whoa. Oh, yeah. No, they have no free speech in Canada. I mean, there's no, there's no sort of doctrine, legal or otherwise, in Canada of free speech. It's bad. And that's what Jordan Peterson's facing. It's because he's Canadian. This would not happen in the United States until, of course, you know, the sociologists take control and then they will have these laws. But we don't have them here. So he actually could go to prison. That's what's ha that's what's happening. He could go to prison for not saying zur in his class. There was an article that Vice published that someone linked to me today about this that I did not read yet because I announced that Jordan is going to be returning to the podcast and someone was saying that his interpretation of these laws is greatly exaggerated. See if you could find that. It's a very recent it's, Vice article. I'm pretty sure it's illegal. And illegal means you can go to prison ultimately. I right? don't think Jordan's wrong. And I don't think yeah. he would exaggerate. No, no, no. I looked into this. It's illegal. Because that, that matters a lot to me. Of right? course. Yeah. So yeah. I am 100% in solidarity with him on that. Um, and he's completely right that the state, no one should be telling him to what to say in his classroom. And certainly he shouldn't be going to prison for it or being threatened in any way legally. Even well, if it's just a fine. A fine, right? People don't understand this. It's incredible how people don't understand that everything the state does is enforced by the threat of ultimate violence, right? So my mother even said this recently. She said, oh, it doesn't, it, there's no violence with parking tickets. They just send you a fine. I said, oh, really? So if you get the fine and you don't pay it, what happens? Oh, we get another notice and then another notice, right, mom? And then another notice. And then finally, what happens? Corinne Gaines, this black woman in Maryland a couple years ago, this is exactly what happened. She got a bunch of traffic tickets and she refused to pay them. And ultimately, what happened? The SWAT team came to her house and, and she pulled a gun and sh they shot her in the head. That was over traffic fines. Okay, that's what happens. That's what it means to make something illegal. At the end of the day, for, the, for it to be meaningful as a law, the state has to use lethal violence to enforce it. Or the potential for lethal yeah. violence. In other words, if you don't pay your taxes, even if it's you know $100 in taxes, ultimately... Otherwise, the law is meaningless, right? Right. They have to either, they have to put you in prison or kill you. Well, that was what was most offensive about that Sandra Bland case when yeah. you got to hear the yeah. interaction between her and the cop. Yeah. She did nothing wrong, and this cop is dragging her out of the car, and then ultimately she died, and they don't know how she died. And there's she was pissed off. She talked back because yeah. he pulled her over. For some, we told her to put out her cigarette. For, right. And she's like, I'm not putting out my fucking Because she was cigarette. being disrespectful. Exactly. But yeah. she wasn't. If you listen to the the, the well, actual recording. No, no. She just wasn't following hold, him to the, like, she hold, wasn't treating him with respect that he felt he deserved. Hold on there. I think she was being disrespectful, and that's why she's my hero. I mean, because... Really? He, you think she was disrespectful? That's why she's a hero. But I don't think she was. Because you shouldn't be, dis you shouldn't respect that authority. I mean, it's dangerous, and that's why she's a martyr. Well, I'm not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it to people. I wouldn't tell my son to do that. But he deserved no respect. The law, enforcing that law in that way, treating her in that way, in that moment, was deserved no respect whatsoever. And that's, to me, why she's the hero. Not that she was a victim. She was a victim. But to me, what was great about her was that she said, no, I'm not going to put up my cigarette. And why did you pull me over for this? This is bullshit. Well, I mean, You have no reason to pull me over and do this to me right now. I'm on my way to someplace. I'm trying to get someplace. What was she getting pulled over for? I think it was a... I think it was, was a... It was a, a taillight or something? No, she like, didn't turn... I think it was a turn signal. 
Okay. It was something really trivial. Well, I don't think he has the right to tell her to put out her cigarette. So, like, that's not a disrespectful thing. I uh, think he's overstepping his boundaries. I don't think you do. can. They do in your car. She's uh, smoking a cigarette in her car. They have the right. They have the right, and I think in some uh, municipalities, the obligation, because you are supposed to. Here's the thing, Joe. I mean. This is the You're other thing that the law. Let. This is the thing that the law rests upon. It re rests upon us respecting legal authorities. Right. If we don't, there ain't no law. Yeah, but there's so, no legal authority for you to stop you from doing a lawful act. Like if she has a cigarette lit in her car, when she gets pulled over, the cop says, "Pull your cigarette out." What he's doing is just controlling her. They, I don't think that's a they law. They give them latitude. They give the cops latitude in determining who is obeying their orders and not. So if this could be, I'm sure. Really? This, yeah. I'm not defending this. I'm saying this is the problem. I'm saying that in court, I would bet you anything, he would say that showed that she wasn't listening to me. She wasn't obeying my orders. I think he told her to like put her hands on the car or something, and she had the cigarette in her hand. So she had to take the cigarette out of her hand to do what he was asking. In Man. other words, I'm saying that's all worthy of disrespect. I'm not defending it at all, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing, though, about this, and this is something I've been working on lately, and uh, I've been doing some work with um, some people at Freethink Media about this, um, but is, I think, and I've changed my mind about this. This has been a new thing for me. I've thought about race my whole life, basically, really, really hard, and this is, I've changed my mind about this. When, when things like that happen, Sandra Bland, Mike Brown, Eric Garner, even Walter Scott, the guy who was shot in the back mm -hmm. in South Carolina, what is do that people- the guy where they planted the- um, The taser? Well, yeah. that's, again, uh, hold on there. <laughs> so, I, like everyone in the country, pretty much, saw those things and, and thought, A, that's horrific, uh, and B, that's racist, okay? And that, what people do, overwhelmingly, is they focus on what they believe is the racism of the cop, the individual, that that's what caused those cops to shoot those guns in those moments. I think that's a mistake. For one thing, we will never know why they chose to shoot, to pull the trigger in that moment. We will never know that it was racist. There's no way to prove that. There's no way to demonstrate it. Um, and there's nothing we can do about it. You can't, what can you do to change people's ideas about race or black people? You can't, uh, certainly not anytime soon. What all those cops were doing in all those instances, and this is why they got off, they were following the law and they were following police procedure, which actually obligated them to do, to do those things. So Walter Scott, and believe me, I was convinced that was a racist cop, that that was a, <laughs> clearly a bad killing. And it was a bad killing, but not for the reasons that people are talking about. I have no way to know whether that cop was racist, and that's why he did that. But we do know, and people have done work on this, that he, it is very reasonable to assume that he was doing in that moment what he was obligated to do by law, which is, if you look at the video carefully, he very well could have thought that Scott was still holding his taser because Scott grabbed the taser and then dropped it immediately. But if you look at where the cop is looking, he may not have seen that. Oh, and we're talking about a different thing then because I'm talking about the cop that shot the guy and then dropped the taser near his body. We're talking about the same thing. So here's, the, no, here's the what guy happened. grabbed the taser here's before that? Here's what happened. Okay. Yeah. Walter Scott grabs his taser. He grabbed the cop's taser. Grabbed it. I pull, thought he just ran. Pulled no, pulled the taser out of his holster and had it for a second. And then and then started to run. And as he's like turning to run, he drops it 
immediately. And he's running away and he gets, you know, a good whatever, 10, 20 yards away and the cop shoots him in the back. Okay. Right. So according to South Carolina police procedure and, and according to Supreme Court decisions, uh, the cop not only was had the right, but the obligation to use lethal force because he could have believed in that moment that Scott still held the taser in his hand. If a person takes a police officer's weapon, police are obligated to use lethal force to stop them. So if you look, you just have to, there's a, there's a video, there's a documentary about this. It's called Frame, I forget the number, I think it's 394. You might be able to find it, Jamie. But, um, and it's plausible, it's not definite that this is what happened, but it is plausible if you look, the way, the where the cop was looking, he may not have seen that, that the taser was on the ground. I'm super confused because I thought that the cop dropped no, the no, taser. No, no, hold on, I'm not fin let's, let me finish. Okay. So he's like, so Scott's running away, 20 yards, right. shoots in the back. Okay. Then the cop walks over to him, during that time, he does see that the taser's on the ground next to him, next to the cop. He picks okay. up the taser, the cop does, walks over and drops it on the ground next to Scott momentarily and then picks it back up. Uh, so who knows what was going on there? He, he may have been, and sure, he may have been trying to cover himself in that moment, but actually he didn't need to. That cop, you know what happened with that trial? It's a hung jury. He's, he's free. Huh. Because of this, because I'm sure we don't know for sure, but I know that this was the argument made by Scott, by the cop's lawyer was that it is totally reasonable to assume that he believed he was he had reason to shoot him legally. So that's one part of that story. Right. Which okay. is that the law is the problem. OK, mm -hmm. not the cop. Stop focusing on that cop. You'll never find out. You'll never be able to prove that he did it because he's a racist. And even if we did, what's that going to give to what's that going to get us? That's not mm -hmm. going to save anybody the next time this happens. Right. But what will save people is if we if we change those laws. Here's the worst law that really made the whole thing happen in the first place that no one's talking about. The whole thing started when Scott was driving through North Charleston. Right. The cop, I think it was a suspended license plate or something, or a taillight, taillight, I think it was a taillight, something trivial, pulls him over. At that time, Scott was in arrears on child support payments, right? And you go to, here we go, you go to prison if you, if you get behind on your child support payments. And he had been, I think, put in jail a few times in his life for this. Mm. You get put in prison, and there's a whole bunch of men right now as we speak in prison for that very reason. And these child support payments, by the way, are set by judges often in a system that re that massively favors the women the mothers that whole system you've never been divorced right i have you know as soon as you enter it you see right away that the whole thing is stacked against us and it's this is you know it's just you look into it if you don't believe me i, I mean, believe you you have to I've, basically I know many and friends and i went divorced. through the mildest divorce i mean my ex-wife was as as easy on me as you could be but nonetheless, I ended up paying a lot more child support than she really deserved. And very, but not a lot. I mean, but it was, but it's a lot of men. Oh, in fact, you do have a friend this happened to, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, you go into these courtrooms, and it's basically down to a judge. As I have to, a friend who has to pay alimony for the rest of his life. Yeah. He was married for 12 years. He's been divorced for 14. He still has to pay his ex-wife. He's married to a new woman. He uh -huh. has a new family. He didn't even have kids with this woman. That's he has yeah. to pay her forever. Yeah, forever. Imagine if they had she dies. Imagine if they had kids. He fucked her so hard she can't work anymore. Forever. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, well, that's that's a crazy law. A lot to say about that, but yeah. Uh, but uh, that's a crazy law when they have when there's kids involved. Right. Forget but about that's it. But that's a very sexist law, by the way, because that law is implying that this woman is incapable of making it on her own. Thank you. 
by definition, it's anti-feminist. Yeah. Yes. It's anti-feminist and it it's is. sexist and it's patriarchal. Right. It but is totally patriarchal. Women right. who support it, they're supporting it because they don't like men. I mean, that literally would, well, is what it is. Who knows? I don't know well, about Well, listen, if you're supporting a woman never having to work again because she married a guy for a certain amount of time, like relationships come and go. People get tired of each other. People have the right to change. You shouldn't be financially obligated to take care of someone for the rest of their life just because you were married at one point in time. That's crazy. I completely agree with you. Especially in today's day and age where my friend is 54, I think he is now. He could live to be 100. Mm -hmm. So what the fuck? He's got to pay for her for another 46 years? That's insanity. It's phenomenal. Yeah, but again, when yeah, that's I agree with you completely. But what you said just then about it being sexist, it is. That's right? a radical concept that hasn't even I think registered with most people. And if many people heard it, they would think you are a sexist yourself for saying it. But you know what? It is inescapable that that's what's going on. That sexism is, against men is very common. It's sexism against women, too. Yeah. That's what we're also saying, right. and that's the radical Both. part of this, right? right? It's actually patriarchal in the most fundamental sense, which is that the court is saying that the man should be the provider. I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> There's a woman in Florida who is a, this is a bit in my act that I'm doing now. It's a true story. There's a woman in Florida who was a cop. She was 25 years old. She pretended to be a high school student, and she's an attractive woman, made friends with this boy, he thought it was his girlfriend, and she talked him into selling her pot and then she arrested him. That only works when you have a 17-year-old boy and a 25-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. If you had a 25-year-old man mm -hmm. throwing dick at your 17-year-old daughter and then he gets her to sell him pot and then he arrests her, there would be people lining the fucking street with torches to kill that guy. Mm -hmm. But people are sexist against boys. They feel that boy should just keep it in his pants. That boy should know better. And you know, as well as I know, when you're 17 years old, you are a baffled bag of hormones with a boner, just running through the world, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And you're 12 months away from being an adult. It's mm. chaos. It's mm -hmm. craziness. To, and to think that this young boy should be able to think clearly in that moment while this 25-year-old woman is manipulating him is insane. Yeah. But they allowed it, and this kid has a felony on his fucking record right now. Yep. This is, this is the root of the issue with feminism that is current feminism. It's, it's current incarnation. I am a feminist, by the way. How we, dare you? We can define that. Leave now, sir. Uh, but How the, about just being egalitarian? Can the, you do that with Well, them? yeah, so... Bitch. <laughs> well, that's... Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that either. I'm not an egalitarian. But um, you're not. No. How Hold come? on. Too many topics okay, at I'm once. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jesus Christ. Um, we, we go off a lot of branches here. I know. It's, it, I love it. Um, where was I going? Oh, this. Feminist. So what you did was you identified, and I think actually we, we I talked about this the first time I was here, which is that you know this is what's to me at the heart of this is the appalling irony at the heart of contemporary feminism as practiced by self-defined feminists, mm. okay? Many, not all guys, I'm not general, I'm not saying all feminists are like this, but I'd say certainly it's the dominant strain right now, which is that it is at its heart patriarchal, which it, it treats women as vulnerable, weak, powerless, incapable of making their own way in this world. And it treats men as the, not just, forget about the men, forget about how they treat men. It's how they treat women that's sexist. It says that they need protection from the state, which is run by usually men. But it's also this other institution or, you know, college presidents need to protect these women 
from 19-year-old boys who want to have sex with them. Same thing. Yeah. They're constantly calling for women to be protected by these institutions, the state, by men. It is patriarchal and sexist right at the, at the heart of it. And same thing with family court and divorce law and all that stuff. That's how they get treated. They get treated like they're the ones who need to be taken care of by a man. It is, it's like 1950s sexism. It's like Mad Men sexism. That's what, that's what most feminists are calling for now. Well, I disagree when you're talking about child rearing because I think that child support is, should be absolutely mandatory and it's very important. And if a woman is the only one raising the kids on her own, not only does she need the money for food and housing, but also probably for someone to babysit her kids. There's a lot of, a lot of factors involved. I and, totally agree. And if the man's not in the scene, like, yeah, he owes money for sure. He has a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And as a father, at the very least, that's you should, what you should be doing is contributing financially. I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm but not opposed to paying child support. My problem is alimony. Uh, Alimony's weird. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. It's weird. Well, it's. I don't think it's a bad thing well, if someone, like, say, how about this? Say, um, let's turn it around. Say you had a wife who was wealthy, mm -hmm. and <laughs> she was taking care of you while you were going through school, and she promised that she was going to fund you all the way through your PhD program. She was going to give you money so you didn't have to worry about anything but your education. And then once you got out, then you guys could share income. But somewhere along the way, she decided she was done with you, and then you're fucked, but you're in the middle of this program that you have to pay for. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that she should give you until you could figure your own system out so you don't have to quit your PhD program and go get a job somewhere and get an apartment and a car I don't think that's that's I don't think that's unreasonable mm -hmm. what's unreasonable is saying that because you guys were together for a certain amount of time she has to pay you for the rest of your life sure that's insanity sure and that's current I agree that's real I agree that's sexist but should that be legal though should that be legally enforced should courts be deciding how long the alimony is paid no those, yeah that's, that's crazy well, that's the that's the situation yeah. it's, no. that's I don't know how has that happened like what what's the motivation behind that for the courts to succumb or, or to, to give in I this? just explained it to you it's but, sexism it's patriarchy it's and the feminists are, are playing along with it that's it. It's this. Yeah, it's this idea that women so can't courts, make courts. Though I mean, isn't the courts like a? Aren't there a lot of men involved in those courts? I mean, why are they allowing all this? Yeah, to happen? and most of them think basically like feminists, or at least they they are expected to behave and make decisions like feminists. Feminism has become dominant in that way but in our culture. This has been going on for decades. Yeah, exactly. These laws have existed like long before feminism well, I know, was but prevalent in our that's, culture. That's my point. It went from sexist patriarchy, those laws. Oh, I see what you're saying. To, so feminism is basically continuing that stuff mm. in its name piggyback on in it its and just name. switching now, up the def definitions. Let me say really loud and clear, there have always been feminists who hate this stuff right. as much as I, you and I do. Camille Paglia type lots feminists. Of, many right. of them, okay? And they have been loud and clear about this for right. a long, long time, and I love them, and they're my heroes, and I've learned from them. This is I've learned these things from them, okay? Um, but the ones who really are, you know, powerful and dominant in the media, the ones we hear from, the public intellectuals, the academics, government leaders, the people who end up in the White House, you know, Obama's staff in HHS, Health and Human Services, and the Department of Education became very clear to me that all these sexual assault laws and rules that came out of there 
they were they were coming right out of colleges and they were really of that they were of the sort of college feminist movement they were the ones who set that letter in 2011 that made it basically mandatory for colleges to set up these kangaroo courts for sexual sexual assault mm. cases all the nonsense you and i talked about here right. a couple years ago yeah um yeah go anybody interested review those or earlier podcasts about your college about Occidental. Uh, well, yeah, it was many colleges. Yeah, but and, you know, there's a whole backlash now, right? There's a huge. It's all turning back, and I knew it was going to happen. Right now, they're completely being decimated. There's hundreds, or maybe even thousands, of men who are suing in court, and many of them are winning right now, for good reason, because there was no due process. Right, because they weren't allowed to, you know, ask questions. Well, that poor boy, the mattress boy. Where oh. that girl put oh, a yeah. fucking mattress on her back and oh, yeah. dragged it around campus and then oh, yeah. took her graduation speech with a mattress. They, they went on stage with a mattress. I mean, oh. the whole thing was so fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. My, uh, yeah, there's this fantastic sex worker activist named Christine Pereira, who's in Vegas. She said, she tweeted something like, when that happened, she said, fuck you, mattress girl. For those of us who have really been raped, you're a fucking disgrace. Ooh. She went off. It was something like that. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. But, but that uh, girl seems pretty crazy. That mattress girl. Yeah. That was an extreme example. But that but, boy is suing that school. Luckily. Yeah. They're all suing. Yeah. And many of them are winning. And I don't know what happened in those cases. I don't even right. know what happened to mattress girl for right. sure. For sure. I know that there's all kinds of evidence that sure looks like it didn't happen the way she said it did. Yes. But I don't know for sure. And I never right. will. We will never know. You can't know. But what we do know for absolute sure is that there's been terrible or no due process right. in those cases, right? And so that's the problem. I mean, that basically the, the accuser gets to win every time. Imagine if that was our legal system writ large, right? Right. Joe, you stole a million dollars from me yesterday. All right, put him in jail. Right. That's basically what's happened. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it got so crazy that even Rolling Stone printed a false rape case, that, that gang rape case, yeah. the UVA case. It's astonishing. Which is just how did a company that's been in the journalism business as long as they've been, how did they fuck that up? Yeah, like that, how, was, that was the turning point, I think, when that came out, that it was completely made up. I think since then, it's tar started to turn. So, do you think that's good, that things like that happen, so that you realize why it's important to have checks and balances, and that people it reaffirms this <laughs> idea of real journalism is important, to have your facts in order, to have checks and, and, and double-check things, and make sure you know what the fuck you're printing. I think it's good for society. I think it's terrible for John Doe. All the John Doe's out there, all those men who were accused and expelled mm. and had their names ruined and their careers ruined, right. college careers destroyed and all that sure. stuff, right? I think, it, but yes, your point. And also, even if you're exonerated, the emotional turmoil that oh. you go through, yeah. there's no way they can reward you for oh, that yeah. Yeah. Or, or compensate you for that, rather. So that, but that is part of that whole thing, as I said before, is part of this sort of ironic feminist patriarchy yeah. ideology, right? Which is, you know, we need protection. We can't. We can't because it, because it's we can't say no to men. We can't stop them by saying no. We need you know we we, we need help just there. We need to, we need the college president to save us or the cops or someone. It's it's incredible. Um, well, but, then there's this also but, this thing where two people are drinking, and if the two people are drinking, the girl is getting raped. There you go. Same Whereas thing. the guy's not getting raped. Because women yeah. are incapable of controlling themselves when they're drunk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sexist as hell. Exactly, I mean, because the man's drunk too, but it doesn't somehow or another it doesn't matter. Even if they're both like sending texts back and forth, do you have condoms? Yeah. Like the Occidental case. It's patriarchal. Yeah, it's, it women is. are children. They're daughters. They right. need to be taken care of by dad. And the sons are men. Yeah. Even yeah. though they're just the same age yeah. and they're boys exactly. as well. Yeah. Yeah, they have full agency. Yeah. 
and the it's women they're the women are daughters yeah it is sexist yeah. it's incredible yeah so um so okay gender jordan peterson um so i'm completely absolutely with him you know when it comes to that when it comes to policing of language right and but he as i said he i i i, I could be wrong about this but it sounded to me and i've listened to him on your show and i've listened to him elsewhere and a lot of people have pointed him to me and vice versa because they think we agree on these things and we don't which is that he thinks seems to me that gender is biologically determined that there are two genders they're fixed in nature and that's the end of that discussion i don't know if he's ever said that and i don't mm. i really don't think he has mm. yeah i really has. don't think okay. he has well i think he's t said that when it comes to gender identity that he doesn't believe that we need more pronouns no he thinks it's just wrong if you think you're a woman when you were born with a penis it's just by it's just sort of absolutely wrong yeah, I, I think you would have to find him saying that before you I'm really say glad that. to hear you say that because I wasn't sure where you stood on that no I mean look man that's a big deal people I think that's a big deal it, it can get super weird when okay how about Rachel Dolezal mm -hmm. she identifies as being black right yeah let's she's do this. transracial mm -hmm. how do you feel about that I think she's correct <laughs> Not now. Hang on. Let me let me uh, let me yes. tell you what correct means there. Okay, she's transracial. Not, not in a not in an absolute way, right? Not oh. in a scientific, objective way. Right. But it's just as true as anything else. Meaning that because so race, and then here's where uh, here's here comes Sam Harris now, and I'm sure Jordan Peterson's in this boat too. Hmm. But I know Sam Harris is because I just heard him talking about this with Charles Murray. Um, he believes there's there are races of people. He thinks that race is a real thing. He's he's definitely subtle about it and nuanced. He says, you know, it's the the divisions between races and the lines are blurry and it, you know. But he he believes there's a biological basis to race. He's very clear about that. And that is to me absurd and completely unscientific and it's easily disprovable by according to his own standards and by scientific okay. standards. But when anyway, you see a black so, guy from Kenya, you see a white mm -hmm. guy, uh, a Chinese guy from China. Uh -huh. What's the difference? No difference? Well, here's here's the answer. You tell me, right? Which is that so historically, mm -hmm. the differences between them have changed. That we people, human beings have said different things, have created different categories and filled those categories with different characteristics over the centuries those have changed constantly right and my first time i was on here we had a long discussion about what's in my book renegade history on immigrants mm -hmm. the irish and the italians and the jews when they got here to the united states here and in europe they were largely considered to be negroes <laughs> right right and now they're as white as anybody right so what are they um at that time in the early 20th century it was not like when I say common belief, I mean it was taught in schools, the following, taught at Harvard, the following, that Europeans were made up of three distinct races. There were the Nordics in Northern Europe, the Alpines in Central Europe, and the Mediterraneans in, the, in Southern Europe. And they were very different, biologically. The Nordics were rational, intelligent, disciplined. They were the ones who made civilization they should run the country the alpines were okay they could be decent farmers but they're never going to do algebra and they certainly can't run a government the mediterraneans were basically either like negroes or really close and therefore should be slaves or just peasants that's my people yeah no yeah you're maybe Italians. you're talking about a long time ago 
No, we're talking about 100 years ago, which historically... That's a long time mm-hmm. ago, well, if you're holding your breath. Mm, you, but you know, you love ancient history. I mean, yeah. if you look at the whole sweep of human history, that's five minutes ago. Right, right? it is. But okay. it's still a long time in terms of how we address it today. But it, if we address it today, if you're looking at someone from China, mm-hmm. or you're looking at a, a dark black man from Kenya, yeah. there's something different about them. Do you think it's just melanin? Sure. That's of course, it? there's something different about them. Right, many different things. There's no, okay, there's... So, where do you draw the line about around races, though? Right. So, look at take all the people in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, which ones are Kenyans and which ones are they all Kenyans and what makes them Kenyan, or a, are they all Africans? Well, you know, you can. Do are they all black? Right. A so DNA those have all been test on someone and find out where their their origins are. You can find out uh-huh. how much. Irish you have in you, sure. how much South African, you can I mean, you can do all that. You can go all the way back to, you know, your family right. lineage through genes. I get that. Totally Well, if fine. you want to go all the way back, we're all African. Sure. Well, there you go. That's another way to disprove this whole thing, right? Right. But it's is but it disproving it because, I mean, these branches... It's not disproving it. Sorry. That's a, di- right. that's a bad word to use here. It is calling it out as a fiction, mm-hmm. as a social construct, which is that these lines have been drawn all the time in all kinds of different ways mm-hmm. over the centuries by human beings who just look at all the people in the world. They line up the 7 billion people, right, in their mind, and they draw lines. They say, oh, these people over here, this side, those are the Negroes. And over here, these are the Mongoloids. And over here, these are the Asiatics. And over here, these are the Nordics. And over here are the Aryans and the Jews. And, mm-hmm. and those change all the time. But these are just categories we invent, right? So who's black? Is Jimi Hendrix black? Well, Jimi Hendrix has uh, a mixed background, right? I mean, wasn't well, his mother white right, and his so what's father his race? was black? Joe, what's his race? Is he black or white? It's a good question. There you go. He's got right? a lot in him. But so, he, but there's a big difference between someone like Jimi Hendrix and someone that is like very, very dark. Okay. comes from a specific part of the world where everyone around them is very, very dark. Let's do that. They have very obvious and repeatable characteristics. Let's right? do that. So okay. the Congo, these knives come from sure. the Congo. Okay, the people there? They're pygmies, actually. I mean, right. that's an even Say, more just specific West group. You know, West, we can just okay. even do West Africans. Okay. Okay. Where are slaves, where the, West, uh, where the Western slaves, mm-hmm. American slaves come from. Um, and just across the continent, not even that far away, you know, there's Somalia. You know what Somalians look like? Right? Yeah. And Ethiopians? Mm-hmm. Right? Think about them and how they look and think about how, you know, West, uh, West Africans look. Are they the same race? Well, very They're different very, very physical dark, characteristics. Very dark. Right? But Somali, right, Somalis look different than everybody. Right. Clearly. Right. You know a Somali immediately. Right. Same continent. Same pigmentation, basically. Very right? thin. Yeah. Uh, their facial structure very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are they black? Why are they the same race? Is the but question. is that the same race? Or I mean, we're, we're talking saying. about Somalians. Like, would you, would you would you consider Somalians the same as, like, Ethiopians or as the same as Egyptians, so my thing which is, is also Africa? My thing is, let's get rid of these categories. They're, these are all silly, made-up categories. There's no reason to—they're all arbitrary. Okay. Lines have been drawn between groups of people arbitrarily over the centuries. Well, what, so you're arguing against something that Sam Harris said. So what did Sam Harris say specifically? Well, it's not just him. It's a lot of people. But, yeah. but they, they, So you don't agree that there is any race at all? I, I'm just saying it's a fiction. It's made okay. up. Right? It's just a... Th- it's like, well, is it a fiction or about, is it a way we're trying to define the variations between human groups? Because there are variations. Oh, that's definitely what it's been about. That's definitely been the motivation. Mm-hmm. Right? And think about what the consequences have been. 
Okay, but it's that's, never been good. Just because there's consequences for variations or recognizing variations doesn't mean you should stop recognizing actual variations. But then you make, but they always make claims right after that, like they don't, what, they don't Sam, have to. What Sam Harris, that's a straw man, isn't it? I mean, well, you don't have to make a claim that Chinese people are different no. because they look different. No, but, but then you it's can just, say, well, this is what a Chinese person sure. generally they have these very st stringent characteristics. They don't have blonde hair. They don't have blue eyes. They're oh. not tall and skinny. They look like Chinese people. Sure. But then again, Chinese people all look the same. I mean, there's you don't have to say that, but, right? But again, but what there's makes, clear characteristics. Makes, the difference between a Chinese person and a black person is very clear. Uh, not not really. Well, a, a, an not ethnic always. Kenyan, not someone always. who lives in Kenya, who is born and raised multiple generations deep, and their parents are Kenyan, their grandparents are Kenyan. There's a very big difference between them and someone who lives in Shanghai. Yeah, but who was born in Shanghai? Their parents are born in Shanghai. They go all the way back, you know, many, many generations of being pure Chinese. Right, but there are infinite variations even among the right. people who have lived only in Shanghai. But what do you right? want to call Physically, those variations? Nothing. But 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 you're talking about something that's clearly identifiable. Are you just going to ignore it? I would say that there's, of course, there are genes that run in families, and right. I completely agree that you know genes determine in large part how we look. Fine. So you can certainly say this person is likely because of their genes connected to that person last generation, to that generation, to this, you know, to right. this, in this family lineage. Sure. Well, what does that give you? I don't know. Nothing. I mean, it's the thing is that people have taken that and they've said, oh, well, these particular characteristics are right? human beings. We we're talking about complexity in human beings at the mm -hmm. beginning of this. Right. People are infinitely complex. Right? right. OK. So the thing is, what people have done historically is they've just picked certain characteristics among people and said, ah, that is what determines your race. Is the issue the you word race is maybe the issue, like there are obvious physical characteristics, the difference between like uh, someone who is a Mongol versus someone who uh, is uh, Brazilian versus someone who is, there's some pretty obvious physical characteristics for geographic areas would you, would you agree like uh, or common physical characteristics for some geographic areas sure you could say on average people in china are shorter than people in polynesia well here's a place where you could do it okay. canada like mm -hmm. try to find a canadian like you don't know what a canadian looks mm -hmm. like they could be english they could be american yeah. they could they could i was be trying anything. to entertain your your strongest argument okay so like China, right? You could okay. say, certainly say that people in China are, on average, on average, shorter than people in Polynesia, right? Well, they look different, yeah, yeah on average. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, but that's one way in which they look different, right? There's, you're talking about facial. You're talking about physiognomy, facial features, that bone structure. Yeah, Polynesians I mean, fine. tend to be like really stout people. I suppose you could say, you know, the the width of their eyes is narrower or whatever on average right. in China. Whatever, sure. Okay. Okay. So what? That's it. I mean, what did we, okay, so they, they are likely to be in lineage from that part of the world. Fine. That's cool. I got no problem with that. But what else do you want to say? The thing is, Joe, no one stops there. They always go on to that. They always go on from there and they start to make all these other claims. Oh, well, that race is really good at math. Their IQ is higher. This is what actually Sam Harris and Charles Murray were just saying. They can do the they can do the um, they can do the coding for Google better than than other people can. Whatever, right? They are more they are more scrupulous. They smoke cigarettes more. Whatever it is, you know, they used to be accused of being uh, more easily addicted to opium. You name it, right? Mm -hmm. Things change, but that's the problem: is that once you start there, 
people have used those differences for other reasons, almost always, which are nefarious and injurious and so have done is, terrible things to people. Your problem is recognizing those characteristics and those differences and calling it a race mm -hmm. and then attaching all sorts of other claims to this category. Precisely. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what Sam and Charles Murray, this is Charles Murray's thing, although it's actually, it's only a small part of his work and he gets accused of it being central and it's not. But anyway, he does still nonetheless believe this and so does Sam Harris and so does other people that there are differences in IQ among races. Okay, now, on the surface level, they are completely correct. There's no question, meaning that IQ scores among people that we identify as African-American have been lower than among the people we define as white American. Totally true. Totally true, and they are right that that is suppressed, that we are not allowed to even talk about that data, which is there, and it's, I have no problem with that. I'm sure that's true. Here's the thing, though. How do we define African-American, and how do we define white? First, that's the first problem. Those, as you know, definitions have changed over time. So Jews used to be in the African-American group, and Italians used to be in the African-American group. Well, it, no, no, they were never called African-Americans, Yeah, though. they were. They were called Negroes. What? Yes, they were. Jews were called Negroes? There was a book written, this is in my book, Renegade History. In, in 1911, there was a book written by a scholar, and this was one of many, the title of which, his name was Ar Arthur Abernethy, the title of which was, The Jew is a Negro. <laughs> That's the title of it. That's hilarious. This was common. This is what people- This is what year? This is, this is all through the late 19th and early 20th centuries, from about the 1880s when the Jews started coming over in big numbers, from the 1880s into the 1940s. Mm -hmm. This was I'm not I'm I'm saying this is what was taught in college classrooms that Jews were of a different race and there was some difference of opinion about whether they were black or whether they were just some other kind of inferior race but they certainly weren't white that okay. was that was widely agreed upon until World War II basically all right so how do we define African American is Jimi Hendrix African-American? Well, get... you're talking, there's a big difference, isn't there, in the term African-American versus Negro, right? Because like, no, those are, isn't it? It's the same thing. It's just a different name for the same category. Yeah, but it's from Africa. They knew that these Jews weren't from Africa. So the, so the one drop I mean, it's rule? It's just a continent. Oh, no, no. They believe that they, they believe that the genes, and they're right about this, right? That the genes came Sephardic. from Africa. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, and they're right, but so do all of our genes, right? Right, all um, of them. So that was part of their claim, and that they were from, you know, part of Europe that was a bit closer to Africa. And this is mm -hmm. what they said about Italians, in particular Sicilians, right? They were like, right. hey, look where it is. That's why these people, you know, are fucking all the time and having babies and, can't, and, and are lazy and can't work and <laughs> fight in bars and get drunk and, right? Right. So... So how do we define these terms? What does white mean? That's right. totally changed. But how much of it is, right, the real okay. question is how much of it is cultural. So there's that. Right. Hold on. And then, and then IQ. Well, um, I think it does measure something. I think it's real. I do. I really do. I think there is something called, this is a G factor, which it, 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 it tests, it measures. G factor is this thing that was invented, this concept. It's a category, but it's a real category in the world we operate in, which is your ability to do rational thinking, reasoning like math, like writing scholarly essays, you know? I'm sure my G factor is higher 
sort of, than other people's, although I'm terrible at math, so that's yet another problematic wrinkle for these people. Um, but yeah, I, I, I believe that IQ measures that stuff, that kind of thing. But is that what intelligence is and only is? Clearly no. No. No, the there's IQ a lot of variables test? that IQ doesn't test What do you think IQ tests test, right? They test all kinds of intelligence? Do they test emotional intelligence? Do they test the intelligence of Jimi Hendrix? Do you think he was great at calculus? I don't know. I sort of doubt it. Was he smart? Was he intelligent? Clearly. In different ways. He was clever with a guitar, that's do, for so, sure. So then how do you define intelligence, Right. Fellas? Well, creativity is unquestionably some sort of measurement or expression of intelligence. Well, we separate that off, though, and we always have as a society. We shouldn't. That's why you don't do well unless you're really, really, really good. If you're just creative in the way we define that and not intelligent in the way IQ tests define it. There's a... So it's all problematic. <laughs> um... And just it, all it does is ask questions. It just keeps raising new questions. It never has answers. And so the, the attempt to, there's this thing that goes on where like certain people just need to keep finding racial differences that are innate, biological, fixed, that can't be changed. And it's like, first of all, you've never done this because it's so fluid and you're always, you're never really answering it. And then what if you did finally prove it? What are we going to do with that information? You know? Well, we just recognize that there are variables, like when we're talking about Polynesian people. Mm. We're talking about people from Tonga, very stout, strong people. Samoans tend to be very stout, strong people. I mean, sure. that's a, a characteristic, a, actually a positive characteristic sure. that's attributed to people from that area. Do sure. you ignore that? Like, how do you address that? No, of course not. I would say that people from Polynesia are more likely, men from Polynesia are more likely to be offensive lineman in the NFL. So your issue is calling it a race sure. itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then okay. attributing other things to it. All I'm mm. saying is guys from there tend to be bigger. Yeah, hell yeah, no doubt about it. But so what? That's the end of it. Is there a part of the world where people are generally thought to be dumb? <laughs> yeah, Africa. The country the, the, the sorry, the, the the continent we've been talking about. That's that's the history of this country. This is the history of Europe. That's the history of the modern world is the belief that people from Africa are dumber than whites. Well, isn't the problem with that's, that that Africa is also where the pyramids were created? That's I mean, what justified that's what justified slavery, that's what justified colonialism, that's what justifies has justified all sorts of things, right? So that's the problem here is that these these attempts to define people by race and by the way by gender have done nothing but terrible things. Nothing but terrible things. Hmm. And you can't do it anyway. It's scientific bullshit. It's total superstition. It's utterly arbitrary. The lines are always being redrawn by the people who do this stuff. So why are you still doing it, guys? Like, it's, where do you draw the goddamn line? All the people in Africa are black? Really? Egyptians are the same race as people from the Congo? As the people from South Africa? As the people from Somalia? I mean, how are they the same race? Because it's pigment? Skin pigment, is that the only determination? Well, it's a fascinating thing when you call people African-Americans or call them Italian-Americans, because Italy isn't actually a country, whereas Africa is a continent. Fantastic it's, point. It's weird to call people continent-Americans. Who's, who's Italian, right? Yeah. Because guess what? Italy didn't even exist until the 19th century, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it was just a bunch of city-states right. until then, and there was no such thing as an Italian People who lived there didn't call themselves a It wasn't a concept. It wasn't a name. Mm. It was nothing. And then they made it into this nation state that they called Italy. And ever since, ever since then, 
every sorry but every dipshit italian american is like really proud that i'm italian well that dude that has no meaning really in the deepest history it has some meaning sure but they talk about it as if it's like rooted in nature like it's biological people love it they love being a part of that stupid team yeah it's sopranos it's i blame the sopranos it's tribalism yeah it's tribalism it is tribalism and it's stupid and if it were just stupid i wouldn't care it's that it is, as I said, it just leads to bad stuff, and it has historically. Let's get so. Over, is this a popular opinion? The the, the idea yeah. that there are no races. Oh, okay. So I, you know, I'm Mr. Anti-academic academic, but this is where academics have actually done their best work, I think. So, and this is the second my second disagreement with Jordan Peterson. He thinks that all the the stuff in college campuses that's crazy is because of postmodernism, and he doesn't understand postmodernism. Uh, the, what's going on in college campuses is people making all sorts of truth claims about things like race and gender, right? I'm black, therefore I will always be this, that, and the other thing. You're white, therefore you are this, that, and the other thing no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. That is actually old, modernist, scientific racist thinking. That's what these old racist, geneticists, eugenicists thought back in the day. It's amazing. Again, SJWs are actually really, really conservative and ultimately racist. The Social justice warriors, folks, for Sorry, people who don't yeah, know. I thought your listeners must know that. Some people now. don't know the abbreviations. I just assumed that was a shorthand to use. So postmodernism. This is where Jordan, Jordan Peterson makes me want to like throw chairs when he talks about this. Um, comes out of French philosophy uh, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. Michel Foucault is the most famous example of a, of a French postmodernist, and he, they get dumped on all the time. But the central, the central argument that was made by Foucault and postmodernists was that none of these things are biologically determined, that there is no natural essence to anything, that everything is a social construct, which means that we now are free to choose our own destiny as individuals, right? Prior to that, prior to the 1960s and 70s, it was the dominant belief that if you were born a woman, you were gonna be a wife and a mother. And if you weren't, you were doing something unnatural, right? That if you were black, you could never be the head of a business or the president, right? You could never do math, whatever. If you were white, you know, you should do all those things, right? Everybody's destiny was determined at birth. And everyone believed that. Most people believed that. Okay. So postmodernists came along and said, guess what? You know what we found looking at history? We found just what I said. I just gave you the whole postmodern argument right there. We looked at history and we saw, first of all, that all these categories have changed over time, which tells us that they're just inventions. They're just inventions that get reinvented all the time, okay? And second of all, they have served the purposes of ruling elites because they get to put people in their boxes and control them more easily, right? Oh, those people over there, those are black, therefore they should be our slaves. So it's okay for us to have them as slaves. Those women over there, we don't want them, you know, working for NASA, so they, we will have a rule against women working for NASA, whatever it is, right? So postmodernists said, none of this is biological, none of this is inevitable, you are now free to do what you want as an individual. It was a liberating moment. It has become the dominant way of thinking in academia. And I have to say, in my view, it is the supreme achievement of academics ever.
That's it? That's it. But it's huge. Huge. So if you think about it, look how the world has changed, and particularly in the United States since then, right? We no longer generally have those ideas. At least we don't operate as such. So black people are allowed, mostly, <laughs> into places they weren't before. Women are allowed very much so into places they weren't allowed before. All the whole world has changed, and I think principally from that idea. So the tr that doesn't mean... Now, the problem is that these social justice warriors, so-called, on campuses, have used some of that language and taken a shit on it. <laughs> so the trans movement, for instance, right, that started from postmodernism. That whole idea, right, is that, you know, if you were born with a penis, you're a man, and you should do X, Y, and Z with your life, mm -hmm. right? The trans movement needed that needed postmodernism to make that intervention and say, no, that's not true, right? You can actually be a woman because because woman is an invention. It's a social construct. What trans, much of the trans movement now is doing, which makes me so sad, is that they're saying that I am biologically, essentially, naturally, you know, in my core, a woman. No, no one is. <laughs> no one is. You can't, ch the whole point of this movement used to be that you get to choose your gender or choose not to be a gender. You get to move around. Your destiny is not determined for you. What the a lot of the trans movement now is doing, is, is a good word, reifying. They're making these ideas, these abstractions real again. They're making these claims that are similar to Sam Harris's claims and to old racist claims and to old sexist claims that if you're born a particular way biologically, this is who you are. Right? Because you've heard a lot of trans people say this, right? I was born a woman. That's, that's what they often say. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is no one was born anything. What? Well, I, you are losing me in a huge way. Why? You don't think that women, that some women are born women and some, you don't think you're born a man? No. What are you born? A, Why are you a man? For all sorts of reasons. For all sorts of reasons. Yeah. None of them being well, biological. We just decided. We none, just of being, none of them being the XY chromosome. We none just, of them being you have testicles. None of them being you have a penis. None of them being the fact that you generally gravitate towards male activities like boxing, kickboxing, aggressive we just, things. We just went through this whole thing. No, you didn't. Yoel Romero and Andy Dick. Yeah, but you. Why are they both men? But you. You. Yeah. You're a man. Yeah. Right? We're not talking about the broad spectrum of masculine behavior. We're talking about no one is born a man. You're not born a man. I'm not born a I'm man. Saying, I'm saying that the, no. I think I think we're getting silly. Hold on here. I think it's the category of man becomes meaningless. Does it? Yeah, we just did this, man. No, we didn't. Why? We definitely didn't do Yoel this. Yoel Romero and Andy Dick are well, both. It's a put broad in, category. Uh, Lines so get blurry broad. at the ends of the spectrum, and I think they cross over. The f male female lines do cross over when you get to that Kenyan runner mm -hmm. and Andy Dick. Yeah, but that's what I'm you saying. Do. It's so broad that it mm -hmm. becomes, to me, pretty damn meaningless. Well, the numbers are incredibly small at those crossover marks. You're talking about a very, very small percentage of the population. Neither, neither Andy Dick nor Yoel Romero are trans people, right? Andy and might be. They are so different, though, physically in every way. Okay, yeah. But, but we both put them in this silly category called, man, what the hell does that mean anymore? Well, Andy has children. He made what does them. That mean anymore? He impregnated different women and got babies and from them. There's a lot of people called men who don't and can't. 
Can't. Okay. Yeah. Can't. But that's rare. They were rare, born that way. But by the that's way. pretty rare. Mm, not that rare. Oh, it's very rare. It happens. Most most men, when they have sex with a woman and they put sperm right. in their body, so they can one, make a baby. So that's one characteristic. But hold on a second. You're uh -huh. you're 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 making it as if it's a really common thing. When you're talking about like one a s small fraction of the men can't make babies, mm -hmm. an incredibly small fraction. So an incredibly- The vast majority of males with the XY chromosome who have penises are capable of impregnating a female with an XX chromosome. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the, the male was born a male, the female was born a female. Right. But, well, so what so, do you mean that you aren't born a man or you aren't born a female? Right, so there are many, many characteristics, right, that we assign to the category yes. of man. Many of them. Okay. That's one characteristic. Okay. So why? Why is that characteristic in the man category? If, in particular, that there are some men who don't share that char characteristic. But which ones don't? You're, that's the aberration. Uh, the aberration is the you, ones that why don't. Why is it an aberration? See, these are because they can't invention. get a woman pregnant. They don't produce sperm. You're talking about like very, very rare cases. Yeah, same with for race. Same thing happens with sickle cell anemia. Right, this is what everybody invokes when they want to claim that race is real. Only black people get sickle cell anemia. Well, guess what? The numbers there are about the same as the number of men who are infertile. Why then are people with sickle cell anemia definitely black? Why is that definitely a black thing? Same thing. It's, you know, again, why are we, there's all these characteristics. Why do we draw this line called man around all those different people? Well, why do we do it with animals? When you have a male dog and a female dog, isn't there a male dog and a female dog? Inventions. You don't believe there's a male dog and a female dog? I'm just saying dog? it's inventions. Now, hold on. So before you get. But it's not an invention. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, of course. But it's not an invention. One of them has a penis and testicles. Yeah, it's yeah. a the, male. The thing we see, we call it a penis. Sure, I get it. No, I get it. And that's the world I live in, absolutely. So I operate in this way, by the way. So a dog I, penis world? You and I would agree on all the things in the world that are dogs. Right. <laughs> and all okay. the things, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to walk around and be like, oh, no, that's all not right. a dog. So with humans, you're making a distinction that there are Same. certain feelings and the way you no. interface with the world that may be more or less masculine or feminine. No, but it does apply to dogs my point here which is that we did draw a line right in those there's this do all dogs look alike my god there's a huge variation there we're not too. talking about race though we're talking about gender right either way it doesn't matter it's okay, the same, let's just the same say principle dobermans uh-huh male dobermans and female dobermans uh -huh. right you can't sure. like if you go to buy a male doberman and the guy gives you a female doberman he goes oh but she identifies with being a male this, mm -hmm. it's, it's just an invention, man. This is a male. But she's a male. You can't disrespect her by saying she's not a male. Th you would say that guy's crazy and you want your money back. Are there any two females who are identical? Two female what? Anything. I mean, if you have a no. really good breeder, you can get pretty goddamn close if you're talking about dogs. No. No. There's no there are no two organisms that are identical. Certainly not. They're not identical not. down to the hair. No, yeah, you've well. got no technicality, but so you can then, still categorize them as XY sure. or XX chromosomes. Sure. No? And I'm not saying we shouldn't categorize anything ever because we must do that to live in this world. What are you saying? What I am saying is we should probably stop applying certain categories to human beings in the ways we have done. Like how so? Because there how are so certain, with male and, male and female? Because there are certain inventions, certain social constructs that do nothing but bad things, that do no good, and they're only social constructs, like race and gender. Well, tell me how race and gender definition. I'm not worried about, about Dobermans Especially too much. gender definition. Let's look at gender definition and tell me how it's only bad. 
Why is um, it only de- bad to oh, define men as men and right. women as women? Because, well, if you say it's 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 about making the biological claim, the right, the biological connection there. Well, making a definition, Which like is, saying a guy who is born a guy who gravitates towards male activities, likes females, all those things, by saying mm-hmm. that that's a man, that this is a born man, mm-hmm. and you're saying no, no one is. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying if those characteristics are naturally determined then all all of us guys who don't do those things are unnatural which things are those all the, all the things to that, women whatever it is that you characterize as being male right but that's so common with males mm, what is being attracted to women oh, really? engaging in oh, really? sex with women oh really yes. have you heard of gay people <laughs> yes it's a small percentage <laughs> of the population of men um, is it 1%? Is it 10%? I, yeah, One out of 10? I mean, it's certainly a lot of people, isn't it? Well, it's a lot of people when you think about the 350 million people we have living in okay. America. Take, sure. Take all the men. Let's do this. Take all the men who are straight up homosexual, always right, have but been. Hold on. Wait. But you can ca- classify I, them as gay men. I know. Hold on. So just take that, whatever that is. Okay. If it's 1 or 2 or 5 or 10%, whatever it is. Uh-huh. Only been homosexual 100%, never been attracted to a woman, period. Okay. Okay, fine. That's still a really signif- significant number. I'm not done. Hang on. Then take the men who don't identify as homosexual, have had sex with women, have been attracted to women, but have fucked men. Hmm. Prisoners. Pretty damn big number there. Pretty damn. Oh. Wait a minute. How many guys do you think that are Pretty attracted to women but still fuck men? Uh, so Kinsey, the Kinsey study sure. in the 1940s and 50s, mm-hmm. found that it was, I think, 30%. What? Yes. 30% of men fuck men? Reached orgasm in a sexual experience with another man, yes. 30%. Yes. Yes. It was a very large number. Kinsey was hanging out with freaks. Yep. That's what I think. There were different numbers for women and men, but they were both very significant percentages. Very not majorities, but very significant percentages. Well, I don't know. I have to say personally that. known, I've personally known many men who you would consider straight, who identify as straight, who have done something with men. Either given them a blowjob, gotten a blowjob, had full on sex, Hollow. jerked each other off. Jesus, you're whatever. hanging out with weird crowds. I'm surprised bro. this is news to you. Well, it's news in that we're, even if they did do that, you're talking about individual sexual acts between people who are male or female, right? Mm-hmm. You're still talking about a man. Still talking about a man that's having sex with other men. You're defining it such in that way. You're literally saying no, a guy. You are. You're, no, you are saying you know guys who've sucked other guys' dicks. A guy right. who's done it to a guy. No, yeah. You're saying a man do it to a man. Gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. No, I'm saying that people who are identified as men by society. He didn't say society, that, though, did That's you? what I meant. People who are identified as men by society have done these things that society so considers were... to be unnatural for men. But when they were doing that, weren't they a man doing it to a man? And look what happened to those guys historically. Not so much recently, but certain, but still today, but let's, certainly historically. Listen, we can't keep going back to 100 plus years from now. Just, about, let's talk about like right now. I am. You're still talking about a man who's having a sexual exchange with another man. Mm-hmm. Like you can be sexually attracted to another man. It doesn't mean that you're both not men. So do you think homosexual men are men? Sure. Why? Because they're male. They have a penis. They have XY chromosomes. They can get a woman pregnant if they wanted to. They can donate their sperm to their lesbian pals, and they can all have babies together. So then you just eliminated one of the characteristics that you previously previously said was male. No, 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 no. Most men, most, Mm -hmm. are attracted to women, but a good percentage of them are gay. This is not, like, complicated stuff. They're still men. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know where to go from here. I mean, I think I've I think I've made the argument. I, I, it's it's funny because you, 
I thought you were totally with me for like an hour and a half, and now it's like I feel like you're not there. And I don't Definitely know what to not there with say. That. I think there's a giant spectrum of people, but to say that a guy isn't born a man or a woman isn't born a woman, I think is disingenuous. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's it's where the so okay. Thailand. Thailand, I think in India, and I think there's several Polynesian countries. There's several countries where there is a legal and cultural and social category that is neither man nor woman nor male nor female like in thailand the lady boys right mm -hmm. and there's other countries to have this you can look it up it's easy sure to find, right okay you know about this maybe sure okay um what about that what about those, those there's people? that too what do you oh wait. i think there's that too so oh okay i'm saying people can be born a man but if you people can be born a woman or you can get these andy dick yoel romero weird variations but joe joe take the lady boys from thailand okay and move them here to this mm -hmm. country now, how will they be considered? What do you mean, how will they be we, considered? Americans don't have those categories. Okay. We have only well, two. Don't we you have think there's a lot two. of variables in Thailand also that you're <laughs> dealing with like really young sex workers? There's a lot of weird shit that goes on in Thailand, a lot of abuse. So is the ladyboy category real or not? It's certainly real. Okay. It's the trans category right. is real. So there, they consider that real, and but here we a, do not. But if a trans Why, category really is weird, real, and I think you agree it's real, and I agree it's real, mm -hmm. right? Trans I, people, I mean, I, there's absolutely people that feel like they're born in the wrong gender, well, sure. right? sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh -huh. So why isn't a man real? Why isn't a woman real? Oh, okay. They're real, too. If you want to say they're all equally real, I'm down. Yes. I'm there. We're good. That's what I'm saying. Right. It's just that those, that those categories have no absolute, you know, biological meaning. There's not meaning that they, they're fluid. They're you know basically arbitrary. Sorry, I mean they're, that we invent them. I'm not saying it's useless. I'm not saying we should never have any categories. I'm just saying that those categories have changed and they change. But you kind of depending did on say where that, you though. are That's in the world. That's why I'm disagreeing with you. You kind of did say that a man isn't born a man, and that a woman isn't born a woman. And for sure, a lot of them are. For sure, a lot of people that have your stereotypical classic female characteristics were born female. And for sure, there's a lot of men who have classic stereotypical male behavior and patterns and desires. They're born men. Yes, and then there's trans people. And then there's also there's asexual people that also need to be considered. There's people that just don't have any desire to fuck anybody. Okay. They don't want to. They don't want to be a man or a woman. They can call themselves queer. They can call themselves whatever they want. They they don't want to be a female. They don't want to be a male. They just want to be human. Here's the deal. How about, let's make a deal. If you, if that's what you have to say about it, and you want to not, not get in the way of people doing those things and making those decisions for themselves and let them do what they want to do, I am totally with you. And oh, that's well, true. For sure, I don't want to get well, in the way of anybody making. I, I don't want to get in the way of furries. That's awesome. If, if you really that's identify awesome. with being a giant squirrel, that's awesome. That's great, and that's really what matters. Um, I'm just saying that claims, and I want to end it here, <laughs> claims about these essential characteristics that it's biologically determined, right, you know, are the things that reinforce getting in the way. Laws, policies, cultures, ideas, norms that get in the way of people doing what they want to do with their own lives. Hmm. Right? Because so, yeah, the, for, I mean? for sure with some people. Well, the, I mean? the variables are so extreme, Let me tell you, here, and the spectrum is so broad. So after I was on your show the first time, 
uh, got a whole bunch of comments from people calling me a fag and a pussy and a sissy and a this and that. You Basic, can't read those. Why are you feminizing those? me? And it's not your fault for calling me a girl. But you can't read those. <laughs> oh no, I know it's whatever. No, I mean people like came to Twitter and whatever. Yeah, you don't read those. Oh no, I know. I stopped. I learned. Yeah. Read, oh yeah, I stopped. I don't do it anymore. It didn't matter. I didn't care. <laughs> this didn't bother me at all. I just thought it was interesting, actually. Okay. Right? So in other words, and a lot of them, what they were really saying, and they, some of them elaborated on this, was that I was, you know, not really man enough. Right, I was less of a man for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't care. It's fine. I liked it. It was funny. Um, but it really proves my point: is that you know these things are very fluid. So they kind of were kicking me out of the category of man, and I was like, cool. Please. I think they were Please. just insulting I'd you rather. to try to get a rise oh, from I them. I don't think but, you could make a rational argument dealing with internet trolls. <laughs> no, of course not. I'm saying it's just one example of what goes on generally, which is that we do this all the time, right? Yeah, but they're not even human. Like when someone's interacting <laughs> with you like that, it's lacking all of the characteristics hmm. of human interaction. You're not there with a the person. You're not looking at them. If someone was in front of you like that, oh, you're a fag, you look, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm in danger. This is a crazy person. Oh, yeah. I might have to defend myself against this person because if someone is treating me that way insulting me looking me in the eye we're so close to violence like anything can happen here like so, this is a person that's not rational it is amazing isn't it it's crazy i was just talking to my my son as we were driving over here because you know he, he reads he he read all the comments oh, when i was on your shows fun. and he was like it was so funny i was like toby don't read that shit man it's just he just thinks it's funny uh but uh it is remarkable how many people do that right yeah. and it's not just that they have these thoughts about you it's that they go out of their way to write it in public to do something they want to hurt you. your feelings yes that they'll go they want to make way. you react they'll actually sit down that's what boggles my mind is that someone will actually like take the time and energy to like sit there and write this thing on youtube or whatever you know about you know this or that about me it's it's phenomenal well right? sometimes people have good Why? points you oh, know, of I mean, sometimes Absolutely. they're not, even when they're insulting you, sometimes they're making Absolutely. points while they're insulting you. Absolutely. It's just hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird way of interacting with people that didn't exist. I mean, there was never a time in our yeah. past where you could, with real time, during real time, I mean, instantaneously, send something to someone and then they read it right away and they could be rude and all they are is a Twitter egg with a bunch of numbers and letters yeah. and they call you a homo. And, it's know, the real downside of the internet, which otherwise is a miraculous boon to humanity. I feel like it's an adolescent stage. Yeah. I feel like we are finding our yeah. way through this inescapable new technology, yeah, I agree. This, this connection that we're sharing, mm -hmm. which is just, well, it's one of the reasons why I think it's important to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And one of the things that I've noticed from doing this podcast is um, how how many interesting people there are there out there in the world like yourself that I can talk to, but also how bad most people are in the world we're just talking to each other. Mm -hmm. We don't ever have long conversations. Everybody's checking their fucking phone. Yeah. Everybody's watching a television. Yeah. It's I worry about that because I'm very pro-technology and all this stuff, but that does worry me. I, when I go into a restaurant and I see people sitting at the same table all looking at their phones. Oh, yeah, like seven it's people. Depressing. You'll see like a group of seven yeah, it's all depressing. on their and phone. I, and I have wondered about the quality of conversation generally. Because just, just what you're saying, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been wondering and I'm thinking it might actually be declining the quality of our conversations interpersonally. I, I definitely think it is. I, I find myself completely continually disappointed with very smart people that I meet that mm. don't have real conversation they talk over people mm -hmm. they don't they're not listening 
they're they're not responding to what you're saying. They're waiting for you to stop talking so they can talk. Right. And it's like it's like this self-centered sort of way of interacting with each other that seems more prevalent than not. Yeah. I'm used to that because I'm around academics a lot because <laughs> oh. they're used to lecturing and they're, they're the smartest person in the room. And so all their job is to do is to tell us what's true. Right. So they're they're very comfortable with that. I was always amazed when I'd watch these really important, famous professors at Columbia, you know, give these lectures to a hall of 500 people. And it seemed to me they didn't even know that there were other people in the room the way they were talking. Like mm. it didn't matter what the reactions were, whether people were asleep, whether they were reading the newspaper. They just didn't care. They just kept going. They just kept talking, right. talking, talking for two hours straight ahead. You know, I just, I can't do that. I'm the exact opposite. I panic if I feel like the person I'm talking to isn't listening to me. Well, that's good. I panic. Yeah. And so when I see, if I'm lecturing to 200 students, I see one kid kind of just get a little distracted, I freak. And I feel like I have to up my game right then and I have to go directly address them. That means you care. Yeah. I mean, whatever it is, I care in a particular way. I mean, it's some it's another form of narcissism, I suppose. But I, I really I do think that's what makes me a good teacher because I I have to have interaction. Well, you want to connect. Yeah. yeah. I need to know what you're hearing. Right. Right. I need to know what you're hearing from me. That's the thing. And then we can really talk. And then I also am really curious. I'm just a curious person and I want to know what you're thinking. And let's do this, you know, let's, and then let's have that, that chemistry that happened just now, which got hot, you know, but like, that's, that's where life is. Mm -hmm. That's where real personal relationships are. Yeah. Comics kind of do the same thing too, because they're used to being the one who's talking on stage or if they do a podcast, they're used to being the one who's talking all the time. But the ones who do crowd work, right? Amazing. If you think about it, if they, you know, the ones who interact, have a whole part of mm -hmm. their, their act where it's crowd work. Yeah. But even most comics, I mean... Don't they have some interact? They definitely have interaction with the crowd. More Happens than a lot. I mean, it, you're dealing with people drinking alcohol in a social environment, and it's dark out, and it's nighttime, and they're having fun, and they're laughing, and and especially when you're talking about controversial opinions mm -hmm. and subjects, people always and chime you feel in. It. And stuff. I mean, all sure. the comics talk about. You know, you feel the room, you feel oh, the reaction. Yeah. So that's yeah. that is interaction. I'm saying I'm talking about these professors in their tweed jackets at Columbia. I yeah. swear to God, it didn't matter what happened, what was happening in the. Yeah, the well, there's hall. a certain amount of arrogance that I'm sure you must get after God. being a professor. It who's... It's a particular narcissism. They live entirely in their heads, right? They mm -hmm. just sit in their study and read books, and they go out and then and then give a lecture, and then they come back and read this read the book, and they, you know, mm. it's a weird narcissism. I can't. But do they to. interact with other professors and go over their work yeah. together? You and... know, I am stereotyping and generalizing. This is not everybody, but I did see this a lot, and I still do. Yeah, there's some interactions, but again, it's mostly through you know, you write a paper and then you send it out to the journal, and then. Some other professor reviews it, mm -hmm. right, anonymously often, and sends it back. It's it's all very weird, passive aggressive shit too. Like that's the other thing about academia I can't stand is that they they are allergic to direct conflict. Like the argument you and I just had, mm -hmm. that's pretty much not allowed, except through writing. They'll do it through writing, mm -hmm. but they won't do it head to head. Well, that's a real problem because it takes too long to work out an idea that way. Yeah, like real debate. Yeah. See, when I went to college. <laughs> I had this idea that it would be the re really smart people, like professors, like more than one would be in a room and they would have, you know, one major issue and they would debate it, that there would be argument, right? There would be a conflict of ideas about an idea. No, it's not that. It's never that. I have been in and around college campuses for 32 years. I have never really seen a head-to-head -head debate like you and I just had. That's insane. Person to person. I mean, here and there a little bit, but not like that. Not where we were really, really going at it. 
I don't think I've ever seen that. I mean that. And I mean among faculty. Some students do, but faculty don't. They're scared of it. I'm telling you, there's a problem with cowardice. And one of the real tragedies with that is that, as, as I said, there's no real conflict of ideas, which is reinforced by the tenure system, the accreditation system. It's, uh, it's this monolith where there's one. And this is why you get this, this uniformity, of, uh, uniformity of ideas on campuses. It's all this monolith that actually has its head at the federal government. Do you know about the accreditation system? It's what, the, about, what about the, it's, the, it's the mafia. People don't even know this. To get accredited as a college or university in this country, you have to be accredited by an agency that is, that is authorized by the Department of Education in Washington, D.C. The Secretary of Education has to authorize your existence as a legitimate legal college or university. That's it. Hmm. So Renegade University, people were asking me. They wanted me, they wanted, some people wanted college credit. And I was like, oh, let me look into this. And so I did, and I quickly found out that it's the fucking mafia that I couldn't get accredited because they have all these, they have all these standards. You have to have a, phys a particular number of buildings, a particular number of professors. You have to have a library with a particular number of books in it. You have to have a gym. You have to have dorm all these things. And if you don't have those things, you're not in. You don't get that. You don't get college credit. No what other. If, so what if you did? Like, so what if is I the, gave you five credits for taking one of my courses? Right. No other college and university would recognize it. If you wanted to transfer, like you wanted to go to graduate school or go somewhere right. else, do something, no employers would look at it and see that it's not an accredited university where you got those credits from. So how do those degree mills, how do, <laughs> how do they do it? Right. So there's two different systems that the Department of Education controls. One is for the so-called elite prestigious schools. Those are regional accreditation agencies, again, all authorized by the Department of Education. And the for-profit colleges, there's a separate accreditation system called the National Accreditation System, and that's also controlled by the Department of Education. But everybody knows within it that if you get if you get accredited by one of the national accreditation systems, you're a bullshit for-profit degree mill. So those credits, you can't transfer them to Harvard or Occidental or any of the of the elite, so-called elite schools. Hmm. So they're completely kept separate. But can you, like, if you get a degree from, like, Phoenix University, you right. know, that's... You can't, you can get 5,000 degrees from Phoenix University. My degree is, I can't take anywhere. And I'm talking about even, even community colleges won't accept those credits. Huh. Yeah. That's it, interesting. It's the mafia. So think about that, right? The Department of Education, one person, federal government, decides who is in, who's out, and then inside that system, there's tenure, lifetime appointment. Those people control the curriculum, what is taught. They also control who's hired and fired. Faculty control all the hiring and firing of faculty and tenure. They ultimately control that, basically, right? And they're there forever, like dons in the mafia, right. seriously. So you wonder why when you walk into any college classroom in this country you hear basically the same shit being said in sociology classes and history classes that's why <laughs> it's astonishing and i didn't even know the full extent of it until i started renegade university and people started asking me about this what would, if you were if someone allowed you to come along if donald trump said thaddeus i love your work mm -hmm. uh what, what what could you do to fix that what would you offer as an alternative we have to change it. No, there's nothing I can do. I mean, meaning if he wanted credit, like college yeah. credit, 
Right now, there's really nothing I can do. I can certainly give them a certificate, and maybe an employer will you know, think it's meaningful because my name's on it. Is it less and less valuable to have a degree today? I'm, I'm saying I'm just completely outside the system. Right, right? I understand. Yeah, but like if you if you admired me and my work, right, and you saw and I had and he had a certificate saying this guy's great and he took my course, uh-huh. you as an employer, it would actually help, sure. And then in that case it would be meaningful. Right. My credits. I'm just saying that's completely outside. It means nothing inside the system of the thousands and thousands of colleges and universities and for most employers, right? Most employers abide by this. They think that if you're not accredited, you're bullshit. Right. So we have to change it. And Betsy DeVos, for whatever her problems are, seems to be the first secretary of education maybe we've ever had who could be willing to challenge this. Really? Yeah, because she's about deregulation and and privatization and all this stuff and choice, school choice. Um, And we need a movement right now before she's gone to get her to abolish the national accreditation system. All, it's with a stroke of a pen, I think, and maybe a congressional act. Probably takes a congressional act too, but she herself, I think, could discredit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she could discredit all those agencies right now. So you think there's just this inherent bottleneck that it's existed for so long, and that these people have been in charge of saying what is true and what's not true, it's, what it's, should be taught. It's a monopoly. Not taught. It's a yeah. monopoly ultimately controlled by the federal government. And that it's also not universally agreed that they're correct. Correct in what way? Correct in what they're th- they're teaching and th- it's not like like there's a, an absolute standard for what needs to be taught if someone wants to get a degree. No, no, in there are. I mean, there are absolute standards. That's, right. that's what I'm saying. Like you but have if, to have this, that, and the other thing on your college campus to be accredited. No, but that's not what I mean. Oh. I mean, um, in terms of like what is uh, what what constitutes a master's degree in literature, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, is there an absolute standard? Mm, yeah, for the yes, the well, they're pretty absolute. I mean, the accreditation agencies mostly agree on those things. Right. So, so why couldn't you just reproduce that in an environment where it's, you're being taught by someone who obviously has a mastery of that particular subject? Guess what, Joe? Right. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Well, that's what it's should happening. Be it's not done. just me. Right. I'm I'm you know one of the pioneers, but it's happening. How many other people are doing what you're doing? A handful. I mean, but it's becoming a new. Jordan Peterson is actually looking into he, doing I hope this so. as well. I, when I heard him talking about that on your show, I said, "Go for it, man." Yeah. Well, he his didn't grant. Even, was, you know what he said? He was and there's no criticism at all. I didn't know this either until recently. He he had this idea. What was it about? Accreditation. He thought it was possible somehow to get accredited, but it's not. You can't. We have to start an entirely separate parallel. Is it a different system. issue in Canada? Oh, possibly. That could be. That could be. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he be credited in Canada. That's possible. But anyway, regardless, I am all for him doing that. I uh, hope he does. I will. Well, join. he was recently denied a grant for the first time I'm in sure. his academic career. I'm sure. They're not playing around. They're yeah. not playing around. No, they, they want this him their to castle. toe the line. This, this is, is their is... castle. They're not going to let us the knaves in. Well, what's interesting is because of social media and because of coming on podcasts like mine and his YouTube presence, he's actually got a large movement of people that are interested in his ideas. Yep. He had a disastrous fucking conversation with Sam Harris. I, I don't know. If I you... heard it. I did. What yeah. in the fuck was that all about? Well, he's holding on to God. Well, the, well, the first one wasn't <laughs> even problem. that. It was about truth. That was God, though. It was, was that, it? That, yeah, because Jordan, he's religious and he believes in well, God. Well, he's religious. So he wants to hold on to this idea about um, 
what is truth being valuable for humankind versus what is truth like one plus one equals two? Yeah, right. Moral, moral truth. Yes. Yeah, moral truth versus. I was kind of on neither side in that one. But it was so but, verbose. But yeah. there was too many words. Yeah, it, was it was like tough. like you guys got to fucking edit this down. That was tough. It, well, Jordan had to boil it down, yeah. and they yeah, did yeah. a way better podcast the yeah. second time. Did yeah. you hear the second one? Uh, no. Much. Much better, yeah. much more concise, much clearer. But that again is, I think there was a, a certain amount of heel digging on both sides. They dug their heels in, they stood their ground. On this one really preposterous issue, which is like, you know, you're listening to this, like Jesus fucking Christ, guys. You're just talking about truth for an hour and a half. Like, what is truth? Here's what's true: fire burns paper. That's fucking true. Okay, like take a piece uh, of paper, Joe, light it on fire. Joe, stop. God damn it. You're gonna make me go again. I don't want to have this conversation. No, it's really important, but let's leave it there. Yeah, it's really. Well, and so I did agree with them, Sam and Jordan, that it is really important. I just disagree with them about what what's going on. But anyway, um, the definition of the word "true," but you know what, should be they should have had more leeway on both sides with that. Yeah. Anyway, but so either here's, way, here's the thing. He's a fascinating guy. Totally. I have major disagreements with Sam, Jordan. But I, they're still heroic, and I'm totally with them because they are doing this. I mean, Sam's not doing it formally, but he's essentially part of this movement. Yes. You're part of this movement. You know what the Donald? You know what the election was about? It was about a civil war in this country that's been going on for a long time that finally came to a head in November, which is a war between the people who went to college and the elite colleges in particular, and who are of that culture that's created in those colleges, and those who are not of that culture. That's what that that's what that election was about. I think there is this this schism between those two groups in this country, and that finally the people who are not of the elite college culture won something, and it caused the elites to freak completely out. So, if you look at like, I was looking at the top podcast because you know I just started a podcast and it, it did get ranked, and so I'm excited. But I'm looking at it a lot, and like you can really see it clearly. Just look at the top 200 podcasts right now. It's like. 60 to 70 percent are like NPR cookie cutter same shit coastal elite liberal bland you know you know what it is mm -hmm. tone of voice what they say who their guests are all the same you know exactly what it is right it's dominated by that but then there's you in there you're not that there's Sam Harris who's sort of that but not really you know there's Dan Carlin Here, there's another one Right, he's part of this movement. He doesn't have a school, mm -hmm. but he's teaching people history. Oh fuck yeah! He's yes. teaching people history. A yeah. lot of people history. More people than any historic uh, Harvard professor more, will ever teach. I would argue more than any historian Way more. ever. Way more. He's, he gets millions of downloads. Way what more. What history lecture is yeah. anybody yeah. in the in numbers like millions producing? Does he is he a serious historian? I've listened to him. I'm a professionally trained historian, Ivy League PhD. Hell yeah, he is. You know, I don't agree with everything, but doesn't matter. He's doing serious, academic, professional, important history, and he is changing the landscape. I agree. Okay. He's on there, so there's some of us. We're, there's some of us. We're making, we're making it happen. But you can just see it's such a divide. Like, there's just such a divide between, like, who, who's on your podcast and who's on the NPR podcast. Is hardly any crossover yeah but that's just my that choice interesting that, i could no, call I know. those people there's a lot of people that i get uh, that are on right. those npr podcasts that's my point is that there's sort of two different cultures that's happening right now there's hmm. just that culture like and this is kind of a problem my girlfriend and i have because she's of that culture most of the people i know are npr types you know that's what they want to hear it's comforting it's soothing whatever it makes them feel good i don't know but they're really that's who they are fundamentally it's like their identity mm -hmm. and then you know when they hear 
your podcast or my podcast or anyone's it's it's like it's like um punk rock to a 80 year old it's hmm. just hard it's just a different culture it's like a different language different way of behaving different ideas are uh, questioned different questions are asked um and there's there's this resentment too because the elites the npr types i believe have basically looked not basically they have looked down their noses at those who didn't go to college who don't speak the way we speak who don't talk about these ideas, who aren't aware of these ideas, right? Working class people, like people in Salem, I know, right? People who, oh, you know, Meryl Streep said it best, right? About MMA, mm -hmm. right? Same, that's, that was it right there. They clearly see all those people outside this elite bi-coastal culture as doing bad stuff, inferior stuff, and they shouldn't be allowed to run things. Well, what she said was so inherently ridiculous, and also ignorant because she was also claiming that if you take out the immigrants, you're left with MMA. MMA is 80% immigrants. Sure. Like I'm, literally. Well, I mean, what she said was it was stupid, ignorant, and more importantly, I think, classist in that way, right? It's like, yeah. you're not smart enough. But she you're just, not good enough. She's so wrong. Like there's a lot of Americans that engage in MMA for sure, but there's so many great fighters that are immigrants. I mean, a massive, massive amount. Mm -hmm. It's not a small amount. Yeah, you, you, so she was saying, take out all the immigrants. You're left with MMA. That is so dumb. Yeah, you know what those people do with the, the immigrants who do things like MMA? They ignore them. <laughs> they pretend they don't exist. Fit. They pretend they don't exist. It doesn't fit the narrow narrative. What they want they're trying is to the immigrant who also very much exists. They want the undocumented mom with the kid who got stopped at the border and sent back, who right. breaks my heart too. Yeah, my too. Absolutely. Yeah. But they want them only to be what? Victims. What's the solution to that? That they can say. What is the solution to illegal immigration in this country? Do you just let everybody in? I'm an open borders guy. Yeah. Open borders. Just let speaking anybody of, in who wants to come speaking in. Speaking of inventions and social constructs that have done great harm to humanity. Borders. Borders. Yeah. I agree that eventually awesome. that's going to be a thing of the past. I think it, it'll be a looked back when we look back at history. It, it'll be thought of as one of the most barbaric ideas. Right. Can you imagine? It's, it's barbaric in the way that like it used to be that you had a tribe and then you invaded another tribe or they invaded you and you had to like, put up a fence and guard your border. And then these things became like larger communities. These communities became cities, became countries, became and then, you know, go back a few thousand years, you're dealing with these countries invading other countries. And so you have these these uh, immigration policies, especially now where we have border patrols and this idea that you have to have your paperwork and you have to have passports and numbers. And otherwise, you you were born in the wrong patch of dirt, sir. If you were just born 30 miles north, you could have been in, in Texas. But you're in Juarez, you fuck. So you stay mm -hmm. over here. It's, it's silly. Speaking of social uh, constructions and social constructions that have changed over time, right? Yeah. Damn, telling a Mexican they can't come here? Are you crazy? Like, this was Mexico yeah. five minutes ago, you assholes. Who the well, fuck you, are you? And have you I mean, seen... it's astonishing the arrogance of Americans who think that Mexicans have no place here. <laughs> I mean, there weren't no white people here a long time well, ago. Well, not only that, I mean, you just got lucky. You're, you were yeah. born into this, like, economically... Pro, you know, promising area where, you know, you got better right. opportunities. Sure. And you're looking at these people that are born in a, a shit spot, and you're like, well, you're in that shit spot forever. Yeah. You can't come over here and take my good spot. It also works against us, right? Because then it becomes harder for us to travel elsewhere. Because yeah. then they have borders. Right. They don't like Americans because of what we do to them. Yeah. When I go to Mer Mexico, you know, I just like, 
I love it there. And I keep thinking, man, it's amazing that you're treating me this well. Because Mexicans are so kind, generally, you know, when you're down there. I'm like, God, you should hate Americans. What, what we've done to them in terms of the border, immigration, and the drug war. I mean, yeah, the deaths, the poverty that we've inflicted on them through these laws. For shitty policy. My yeah. God. I mean, they have every reason to hate our guts, and they don't. Yeah, well, no, Mexicans overall are very kind people. My parents live in Mexico. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I love Mexico. I love it. I go to Mexico all the time. Incredible man. place. I, I try to go. Uh, I, it's one of my favorite places to go on vacation, for sure. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends here, they're scared. They're scared of Mexico. Sure. They think Mexico is all gang violence and uh -huh. all that. I'm like... What, what, read about Chicago. You're not scared mm -hmm. to go to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Chicago is fucking murders every day. That's a good point. I want to, Trump, Chicago, Mexico, violence. You know what he was saying about these illegal immigrants being violent and criminals and stuff? He wasn't wrong entirely. Uh, here's, what, here's what people are ignoring, that it's true that the cartels have moved into the Midwest. You know about this? In particular, yeah, Chicago. I have heard that. El yeah. Chapo and others, too. They have moved into the Midwest. They're in Kentucky. Do a Google search for like Mexican cartel and pick like a town in Kentucky and Ohio, Indiana. They're all over the Midwest and they're competing. They're kicking out the old gangs. And that's why there's all this violence on the streets. A lot of those black kids in Chicago who are shooting each other are working for one of those cartels, basically. So Trump was right about that, but he's totally wrong about the answer to it. And what liberals do in response to it is even worse, which is pretend it's not happening. Yeah, no, people are killing each other. But why? Why? Because drugs are illegal. Yes. Because drugs are illegal, and we want them to be illegal. We vote for those laws. Well, I met a guy in Chicago who was a cop, and he explained it to me in great detail. And he said essentially what happened is they moved in, and they arrested a lot of these drug lords, these local people that were in charge of whatever areas and they were running whatever criminal organization right. they arrest them and they created a power vacuum yep and the way he was saying he's like it's no different than when we remove a dictator in some foreign country mm -hmm. bad people move in and mm -hmm. then it creates violence you get isis exactly mm -hmm. exactly yeah so but you don't hear people talking about this right it's incredible that's what's going on yes the cartels are here yes Trump's, because drugs really trump is too goddamn dumb to make the full point and he's also beholden to these asshole Republicans like Jeff Sessions who thinks that think that marijuana is dangerous He wants to bring back just so he's say not no. saying yeah. the pro he's not he has no idea or at least he's not saying what the actual cause is Right and liberals are sort of abetting him by ignoring it by saying oh no there is no violence It's like no fuckers there is tremendous violence and the cause is your laws against right. drugs Right, right. So the answer is really simple It's Legalized drugs. Yeah yeah. yeah. So, but because because our government is just a fight between this moron Trump and these morons, the Democrats, who refuse to address this stuff, there's no discussion about it. But if you do legalize drugs, like how do you do that? Like, say, if the United States just decided we're going to decriminalize all drugs, mm -hmm. and not, that's not good enough because someone's going to sell them, right? You can't just decriminalize them. But that just keeps people from getting arrested, which is a great step, a good a good move in the right direction. Mm -hmm. There's some insane number of people in America that are in prison right now for nonviolent drug offenses. Yep. It's a, nu it's oh, a nutty number. That's a uh, side note, but a really important one. There is now a debate among academics who study this stuff. Uh, and a lot of academics who are actually more or less on the right side of this are arguing that the drug war and 
and making drugs illegal is not the major cause of mass incarceration because the number, the percentage of people, it is big, but it's something like 10% who are nonviolent drug offenders who are, who are prosecuted and convicted of just drug offenses. Mm -hmm. That is a relatively small number. But what they're not taking into account is all of the other crimes that stem from drugs being illegal, mm. right? So all look the murders, at, take all, the all the violent, take all the homicides in this country, right? I want to see a number, but I'm sure it's really high, of how many were committed by a gang member, okay? And how many of the gangs in the United States basically started by selling drugs, right? Right. Okay, there's that, homicides, assault, gangs, drugs. There is larceny, theft, people who are hooked on drugs, who are broke, in large part because drug prices are so high. Why are they so high? Because they're illegal. Right. <laughs> right? They have to get them on the black market, always raises prices. So they're forced to steal because they're poor people. Right? So a huge percentage, and they don't track this because the convictions are, you know, if it's, if it's a junkie who steals from somebody to score, they don't count that as a drug crime. They count it as just larceny. So we don't know, but I am sure, and this is what social scientists need to do right now, is start to make that, do that work and find out exactly how many people are in prison for some reason related to the fact that drugs are illegal. And I'll bet you it's a huge number. Yeah, I bet you're right. It's also like these gangs, if they don't sell drugs, they have no other method of income. Exactly. Unless they're just knocking over trucks filled with equipment and then reselling it. Like, where, yeah. what are they doing? They have no income. They have no power. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, I mean... The mafia in the 1920s was enormously powerful, right. hugely powerful. Why? Because right. this prohibition. Exactly. 100%. So that's you take away. I said I've said this to people like, um, what was um, the great Netflix series was about him? The huge drug 13? lord. Thirteen. No, no, in Colombia. Oh yeah, um, uh, Narcos. Yeah, what was his name? Yeah, Pablo. Escobar. 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 Yeah. So Escobar. So take make drugs. You make if drugs were legal, how many people did Escobar kill? None. Or two or one or something, right? I mean, he killed thousands of people. Right. Right. But if they're legal, here's the deal. Like, who's profiting off of those, right? That's where it gets really slippery. If you make drugs legal, and then there's got to be, like, right now, the people that are selling them are criminals, right? They're not, if you make it legal, they're going to still sell them. Like, they're just going to sell them legally? Like, like, how do you make this transition between drugs being legal and then people being able to sell them like how does that work like how how do you do that in an orderly way how do you preserve sanity and humanity and civilization what do you mean 1933 they ended prohibition yeah but alcohol <laughs> was something well you know that, they did though what's that they regulated it heavily mm -hmm. which made which created new problems and, right. it, and it caused the state to be all up in our business in all sorts of ways so like you had to get licensed to sell alcohol, right? Right. After that. Already... And what that meant was an inspector from the state came to your bar or your restaurant or whatever and looked around and asked you questions and checked on who you were hiring, who worked there, who your customers were, what kinds of customers. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't fit all the rules of, you know, polite society. Right. Or, and this was true, great histories have been done about this. Uh, if you had the homosexuals coming into your bar. Oh, drunk homos. Or you don't want that. Or the prostitutes. <laughs> or the prostitutes coming into your bar. Or even women who were a little bit loose with their morality, you mm. didn't get a license. Really? Yeah. Loose women could stop you from getting a bar license? Absolutely. Boy. I know. What kind of world we live in. I'm telling you. So, yeah, I decri guess... just decriminalize, we will be fine. But if you just decriminalize, who's selling it? Right? It's still going to be illegal to sell. No. Uh, 
right? Decriminalization yeah. doesn't mean legalization in terms of like profitability. Like Mexico, do you know that all drugs essentially are decriminalized in Mexico, including mushrooms, acid? These, yeah, they, so the de those definitions change according to the industry, which is a pain in the ass. But so it, sometimes decrim means just no laws at all, right? Right. No, none. Legalization usually means, not always, but usually means regulations. Like right. what, what taxing, happened with, right, taxing. Yeah. Yeah. So like with weed, weed well, got that's legalized. Where the money comes in. Weed got legalized and it's heavily regulated, and et cetera. But it also, it's not that heavily regulated in Colorado. It's pretty easy to get. I and the it big was. deal, well, the regulation comes in the banking. The banking's weird because the federal government still has it classified as a Schedule One substance and it's illegal. So there's a huge issue Isn't it with people having to accept cash only. So they hired a bunch of SEALs and Mercs and all these fucking guys from like, you know, that no, would have probably worked for like you know mercenary organizations now they're fucking carrying around drug money hmm. from people selling pot and then they have to take it to the bank and put it in safe deposit boxes and deposit into these accounts in right. weird ways it's very fucking it's it's and, really problematic and that keeps a lot of people out of the market yes. out of right participating but it's good because it hires soldiers you know, there give you them go. something peaceful. It's an to employment do. program. Yeah. That's great. That's what we need. More, <laughs> more hired killers. Uh, isn't it true that they give them jobs? You don't want them not having jobs. That's true. Once you teach people how to kill people, I, be nice to them. <laughs> I certainly would rather them do that than killing Iraqis. Um, yeah, I thought they also disallowed people with prior felonies from participating in the industry. Is that true in I Colorado? Don't Colorado? Which I I've, don't know. I've seen this, and that meant it's. All white. I do not know that all the all the well. There's a lot of black people producers. that don't have felonies. You racist bastard! <laughs> How dare you? Did you hear what he said? Dude, that was a that was a complete How like Huffington Post item. I just gave. I know, you. right? Yeah. <laughs> and you called it racist. Wow. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I think it was just more a salon. It's kind of a salon.com. Yeah. One. Oh man. Um. All right, man. We did just did three hours. Damn. No way. It flew by. Look, Unbelievable. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Totally. Um, tell everybody what your podcast is. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can get it. Cool. Uh, yeah, I got a few things going on, but yeah, the Unregistered with Thaddeus Russell, the podcast. And it's, what else? It's at, it's at ThaddeusRussell.com. There's a page for the it's podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on it's, iTunes. I believe it's, it's everywhere. Top 50. It's top 50 in news and politics right Beautiful. now. Uh, and then I got Renegade University. I got uh, an event coming up in Massachusetts in August, Joe's Old Stomping Grounds. Salem, Massachusetts, August 4th through 6th. What are you doing out there? It's a weekend. Burning witches. Whole, whole That's weekend, all they do out there. Whole weekend seminar. I'm talking about history and theory and politics. Oh, and okay. Whole weekend. And uh, I've already sold out the VIPs, but there's more. The general admission is still on sale. And then I'm doing that with a great group, which I meant to mention, School Sucks Project, who was actually one of the very first pioneers of this whole movement I was talking about to, oh. to just overthrow the whole educational system and replace it with actual thought and ideas and debate. Who's running this? His name's Brett Vinat. Great guy. He's been doing He's just running a podcast. He was just a guy. He was a teacher in New Hampshire uh -huh. and he just he was too smart for that system and got sick of it and he left and said I'm just going to do a podcast he had no platform you know not a celebrity at all and he, it grew and grew and grew and he's got this huge following and he, connect I, me to him I'll have him on he, awesome I'd love to have him on Brett is amazing and he's got okay. this big following and he's had me on the show a lot so he and I cool. are co-producing Renegade University and School Sucks Project are co-producing presenting this weekend in Salem on August 4th through the 6th. So you can go to School Sucks Project website or ThaddeusRussell.com website to get all the details and buy the tickets there. And then I have a seminar actually in LA, just with me, just 20 people for four weeks talking about renegade history of the United States. Four weeks? Four nights. Oh. Over over four weeks. Oh, like so it's four one Thursday night nights. Yeah. Oh, four, okay. Thursday night for four weeks. That's it. Um, right here in LA, West Side. Renegade History of the United States, just with me and 20 people, 
and that's on my web and that starts next Thursday. Excellent. Uh, and then uh, yeah, my website's got a bunch of stuff, but that's that's it. I'm busy, man. I'm really Beautiful. busy. Good, but, but Love all to hear in good it, ways. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much. All right, stop getting hit in the head. Okay, I'll try. Don't don't be sparring with people. I'll be smarter next time. All right, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank Appreciate you. it, man. Daddy's Russell, ladies and gentlemen, will be back tomorrow with Everlast from the House of Pain. Holla.